0: Uh, Good morning. We're starting the January 11th uh, planning board meeting. I'd like to first start by saying Happy New Year to everyone and that the board is delighted to start the new year of board meetings. So let's begin. So the first item is adoption of resolutions. We have two this morning. The first is the Chevy Chase Lake Block A preliminary plan number 120230110. and then we also have uh, well we'll just do them separately because one has a forest conservation plan. So do I have a motion to approve the Chevy Chase Lake Block A preliminary plan number one two oh two three oh one one zero?
1: 110
0: move that we approve. Move I that we second. approve. All in favor? Aye. 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 The ayes have it. The second is the Chevy Chase Lake Block A forest conservation plan number F two oh two three O four one one zero. Do I have a motion for approval?
2: Move to approve. Second.
0: All in favor? Aye. 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 The ayes have it. The second item is the approval of minutes, the minutes of December 21st, 2023. Do I have a motion for approval? I move
1: that we approve the minutes.
2: Aye. Second.
0: All in favor? Aye. 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 The ayes have it. Our next item is um, pl- other preliminary matters. We have two items there. The first is the Bethesda. Design Advisory Panel Member Selection, where uh, staff is recommending uh, the appointment of a new member, Robert Sponseller. Uh, do I have a motion for approval? I yeah, move to approve nomination.
2: I second it.
0: All in favor? Aye. 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 The ayes have it. The next is the Bethesda Implementation Advisory Committee Reappointment, where Staff is recommending reappointment of the f- cur- current five members. They are Naomi Spinnard, Michael Fetchko, Andrew O'Hara, Jad Donahoe, and Patrick O'Neill. Do I have a motion for reappointment of these five members?
1: Move to reappoint the
0: five members.
2: I second it.
0: All in favor? Aye. 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 The ayes have it. Our ne- the next, we're, we're approving record plats. There are several of them this morning. I think we could do them as, as one. The first is uh, subdivision plat number 20, 220230440 Grand Park, where staff is recommending approval. The second is subdivision plat number 220230630 Nebel MHP property, where staff is recommending approval. The third is subdivision plat number 220230830 Bradley Farms, where staff is recommending approval. The fourth is subdivision plat number 220240080. Tilden Woods, where staff is recommending approval. The fifth is subdivision plat number 220240140. Kensington Park, where staff is recommending approval. And the last is subdivision plat number two two o two four o two zero zero two two. 0240250 through 22024070 Creekside at Cabin Branch, where staff is recommending approval. Do I have a motion for approval? Move to approve the subdivision plats.
2: I second it.
0: All in favor? Aye. 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 The ayes have it. And our next item is the roundtable discussion. where planning. Director Sartori will give this presentation. Uh, Good morning. Yeah,
3: no problem morning, for the record, Jason Sartori, Planning Director, and uh, welcome back uh, from your relatively short winter uh, recess, and Happy New Year. In the uh, spirit of the New Year, I thought I'd take a moment to highlight some of the, the, the work program items we have scheduled for this calendar year. These uh, were actually things that I've, I've largely taken from a blog uh, that we posted recently on our Third Place blog uh, at the, on the Planning Board's website, in which I highlighted some of the things that we're going to be working on over the course of the next year. So the first thing I have on here are master plans, and I'm not going to go into depth in each of these, just going to highlight them. Um, you'll be seeing a lot of these come before you over the course of the next year. Um, some of them you've already seen, so Sacoma Park minor master plan amendment, obviously you've already uh then you're working on that on that amendment and we are now uh at the council with that we actually have our public hearing before the council on uh the 25th of this month in tacoma park uh then we've got the eastern silver spring plan which we are going to begin working on uh and uh bringing to you we have begun working on it, and we're going to bring it to you this uh spring for your first briefing on that uh the great seneca plan You'll be seeing more of that in the, in the coming months, the University Boulevard plan, also those last two are from our mid-county team. Uh, and then our up-county team has begun working on the Clarksburg Gateway Sector Plan. Uh, our countywide uh, planning and policy team has uh, begun work on the master plan of highways and transitways, and you'll see um, some more on that this spring. As far as other plans and projects, uh, this image here is from our Burtonsville uh, placemaking event a few years back. So you can see placemaking activities at the bottom of our list. Those are things that we're working on, kind of on an uh, on ongoing basis. Uh, there are a number of other things that we work on in an ongoing basis, but these, the, the rest of these here are projects that are, ha, are have kind of discrete timelines. So the shared streets guidelines is somewhat of a, uh, of an update very it's going to be very similar to the complete streets guidelines uh, but it pertains to one of the the, one of the types of streets that was not included in that complete streets uh, design guideline was the uh shared streets and so we're now addressing that with a consultant the bikeway branding project this was something that we completed last year phase two is is an implementation of that uh and so we're working on that with our partners at uh, mcdot The Friendship Heights Urban Design Study, you'll be seeing uh, that. We're out in the community now, sharing the results of of our our work in that regard. Uh, The Coordinated Data Management Study, this is kind of a behind-the-scenes project in which we're working with MCDOT, uh, uh, the Maryland Department of Planning, uh, I'm sorry, the Maryland Department of Transportation, uh, and others about how we share our transportation-related data and how we make it accessible to each other. And uh, But we'll be briefing you on that later this year as well. The Germantown Employment Corridor check-in, this is a check-in on the, the Germantown master plan that uh, had a, a pretty significant focus on attracting employment to that area. So this is a check-in to see how that's going uh, and will likely lead into uh, an update in some way to that master plan as well. The Randolph Road Corridor study, our Mid-County team's working on that. And then the incentive zoning update. This is our public benefit points uh, program, which you received an update at, the, I believe, actually in our, our last uh, work ses- or last board session. And so we're going to continue to move forward on that project this year. Uh, here's a, a picture of a uh, of a duplex uh, on Blue Hill Road, and uh, you know this kind of highlights some of the policy work that we're going to be doing. We've talked a lot about housing. You'll notice there are a lot of things on this list here that relate to housing. The Innovative Housing Toolkit. Uh, this is work that we've been doing with a consultant to kind of conceptualize uh, different types of design, uh, do like conceptual designs of different types of housing units in different types of neighborhoods, just to see how they would work. Uh, we've also, that project's also reviewing some innovative construction techniques. And uh, materials and reviewing environmentally sustainable site design options and techniques, and uh, the consultants finishing the work on that, and we'll be bringing that the results of that to you all in the next couple of months, February or March. Uh, similarly, uh, the local housing targets uh, we have a kind of a same the same timeline. This is not something that's going to necessarily come back to the planning board. We are working with the council on that, and so we're trying to schedule time to get back before at least the, the, the Planning, Housing, and Parks Committee to talk about uh, and those local housing targets to ultimately get the council to adopt, through a resolution, those, those housing targets to the 22 different planning areas across the county. The attainable housing strategies So this is something that we were working on a few years ago, and we put it on hold while we were waiting for Thrive to move forward, and uh, Thrive has now been adopted. We've since started some of these other housing uh, projects, and so the plan is to turn our focus back to this as those start to conclude. Uh, so I would anticipate that we'll be coming to the Board probably in either late February or early March with a briefing on where we were with that and kind of an opportunity for you all to to, to give us some direction on how you'd like us to proceed with that over the course of the following months. Jason, could yeah. you
2: explain that? How different it is from the affordable housing strategies.
3: The well, the, the attainable housing strategies—that—that that is the project I was just talking about.
2: Yeah, is it the same as affordable, or that's—that's okay. that's the difference? Just I'm saying that difference between affordable and attainable.
3: Sure. So, in, and this was something we heard a lot when we were working on this uh, previously. And, you know, attainable housing is the term that we've used to capture. Missing middle housing and kind of a, a, even maybe a little broader of a spectrum of housing, uh, it's not necessarily affordable mm-hmm. in the traditional sense of affordable. It is more attainable or more affordable than what you would otherwise get in neighborhoods. And so this is a recognition that we need housing that's affordable to a whole bunch of different income levels. And so that's the way we, we've we've kind of referred to this not as affordable housing.
4: Okay.
3: And then, obviously, you know that we're working on the quadrennial update to the growth and infrastructure policy, our adequate public facilities, uh, uh, our implementation of the adequate public facilities law in Montgomery County, and that will be coming back to you in uh, about a month or so with some the data analysis that we're required to do as part of that effort, and then we'll go into work sessions in the spring. Uh, the Thrive Montgomery 2050 implementation metrics, our research and strategic projects team is working on that and will be throughout the rest of this year. Uh, and then, of course, there's the ongoing review of proposed legislation, zoning text amendments, subdivision regulation amendments. I know you've got uh, one before you today, so a pretty, a pretty extensive one that we helped work on uh, and uh, that, you know, that those will be going on throughout the entire year. And then lastly, um, we have development activity. We can't forget that we work on that. I know you've got a couple of things on your plate today and um, in most meetings. But in addition to, you know, private development, we also do the mandatory referral reviews. We anticipate several pretty significant mandatory referral projects coming before you this uh, calendar year. And so uh, a lot on the, on, the, on the transportation side. And I know you've got a bridge today. So you'll see a lot of those this year. Uh, but then, of course, related to development, we've got the 22 recommendations from the development review process work group that we are going to uh, be focusing in on and working with our partner agencies in the county uh, to, to try to implement. And uh, there Three of those we know were state-related uh, legislation, and uh, those are moving forward, but there are others that pertain to how we do our work here, and uh, we're, we're working on those. And then, of course, there's just the ongoing review of those development applications. And and, and to to not forget that uh, there's also all the historic work that our uh, HP team does with the Historic Preservation Commission with regard to historic area work permits and historic tax credit applications. Uh, Those number in in the hundreds that they work on on a regular basis throughout the year. And you're also quite familiar with our FY25 budget request. This includes a number of things that we would get started working on this calendar year. Those are all listed there. Uh, I'm not going to go into detail or identify each of them, but you know that we've got stuff that we are eager to start working on and uh, we're hopeful that we'll be successful in our budget request. So. Uh, Stepping aside from our uh, calendar year 2024 work program, I wanted to highlight, uh, give a, a quick legislative update. Uh, this is a, a picture of uh, some of our leadership team. Just yesterday, we were at our at our beautiful uh, state house. There, uh, we were there for the opening of the 2024 General Assembly regular session. Uh, it was was yesterday, and uh, for the next three months, 188 state. Uh, Legislators will be taking over Annapolis and uh, consider over 1,600 different bills over a wide range of topics, and we know that some of those impact our work, some very directly, some are related to things that we deal with, and others have nothing to do with us. So hopefully, that's a good thing because we don't have the capacity to review uh, 1,600 uh, different bills. So, but given the importance of several of those bills, we felt that it was important for us to be present and to have some face time with some of our legislators. And so we spent some time there yesterday, uh, along with uh, some of our companions from Prince George's Planning, and met with our legislative team there, uh, who spend a lot of time there throughout the year, uh, throughout the session, uh, tracking bills, and also the consultants that we work with there. Uh, we discussed very specific bills but we also discussed our different roles and how we can facilitate their efforts and what we can do ourselves to help advocate for the things that are important to us and um, we then in the evening we attended an event that uh, provided us an opportunity to to directly chat with people from other jurisdictions but also uh, several of our our, our members of our delegation and i was i was glad that we were there and i think it was it was it was worthwhile Worth mentioning with regard to the, 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 the bills that we're, we are tracking and following, there's probably about two dozen or so. Uh, just last week, the governor released his housing, uh, one of his housing bills. Uh, we are doing a deep dive into that. Uh, it's somewhat complicated, and there's a lot there. Uh, and we had a good number of discussions yesterday with other folks, uh, and a lot of people have some of the same concerns that we have. We think there's some good ideas in there. Uh, uh, at a high level, things that are worth pursuing um, and that we would be supportive of, but also a little bit concerned about the state's preemption of local zoning uh, rules. And so that's something we're going to take a, a, a closer look at and try to understand and and something that we're going to try to see if we can offer recommendations of how to make it more palatable to, to local governments. So, Jason, a mm-hmm. um,
2: couple of questions. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, while, because this continues until April, so I believe, because this is my, I'm new to this uh, planning board, I think that you guys come periodically in front of us to let us know how it's going and how we can help uh, in whatever regard. And I know that uh, there are a few that impacting our agency, so... Are we doing any kind of advocacy and meeting with our delegates ahead of time to put them on board and get them on our side?
3: Absolutely. Uh, We've been working, uh, we've had a a number of people, we've kind of rotated in and out depending on people's availability and depending on which particular topic we wanted to really emphasize with particular um, members of the delegation. But we've, for the last couple of months, we've been having a good number of conversations. We've hit almost all of the... uh, Uh, the members of the Montgomery County delegation in terms of getting some face time with them to talk about the bills that we're most concerned about. It's going to be a little bit more difficult to do that now uh, as they go into this period of somewhat, you know, organized chaos in, in Annapolis and running from committee meetings to delegation meetings to Trying to meet with other people, you know, who have issues with with bills, but that's why we we did take the time over the last couple of months to try to get as much face time with them before they were actually in Annapolis. Uh, but we'll continue to, and our our consultants and our uh, our legislative team that's going to spend a lot of time out there will try to catch them as they can go in between committee meetings and and just kind of keeping tabs on on where things are.
0: Yeah. So, uh Jason, can we talk a little bit more? About it. we the commission has a person Jordan Balcom Colbert who, who is, uh, who is paid by the commission. It was part of the commission and and it helps us coordinate let, let, legislative affairs in addition to having consultants. And so it's really I'm really excited that the planning team is out there really uh, doing doing what we need to do. And I just want you to let you know that we have some.
2: Is Jordan with the Planning Department, or is it with the? Commission.
3: She's with the Commission. She's
2: with the Commission. commission. Is, yeah. he, is he new? She she, she, she? Okay, is she new? Because it's important no. that they understand or no. you know, the Commission and the Planning Department and how these things
5: could impact us. Yeah.
3: No, she's been yeah. outstanding.
5: Yeah. Yeah. She's been with the Commission. Yeah. She's in the Office of the uh, General Counsel. Oh. So she works with Deborah. And she's been here a couple of years, and she has extensive legislative experience. She worked on the Hill. She's worked in other legislative offices. So, um, And she helps to direct the consultants as well. So we also have consultants helping.
3: Right. OK,
6: okay.
3: okay then I want to just take a, f- a few minutes to highlight a, a number of personnel um, updates. Uh, Mariah, uh, on December 26th, uh, Mariah Claiborne joined our Up County Division, Up County Planning Division's regulatory team as a lead reviewer. Uh, she, Mariah's actually worked for the commission for, uh, about four years. Uh, she moved to Up County from our intake and regulatory coordination division where she was an intake reviewer. Uh, Mariah has a bachelor's degree in economics from North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University, and she's working on a master's degree in management information systems at Bowie State. And so we welcome Mariah to our upcounty team. Also on December 26th, Dior Kane became, um, officially became the newest graphic designer in our communications division. Dior started with the communications division in, uh, as an intern in the fall of 2022, and then became a seasonal content specialist with the department last December. Uh, you've likely seen a lot of Dior's work. Uh, she creates different types of engaging content that supports our master plan efforts, the department in general, uh, special projects, studies, and she's also done a lot of our uh, promotional efforts, efforts on social media. Uh, in addition to Dior's graphic design work, she's produced uh, many videos for the department. So maybe some of the videos you've seen have been ones that she's produced. But also, you'll see her a lot of times at events with her camera. She does a lot of photography uh, for us at, at, at a lot of our events. Uh, Dior was born and raised here in Silver Spring and is a recent graduate from Salisbury University. And we welcome her as a full-time career uh, member of our team. Earlier this week, Ugana Ninjeze uh, joined the Up County Planning Division's regulatory team as a lead reviewer uh, as well. Uh, Ugo moves from the Intake and Regulatory Coordination uh, Division where he staffed our information counter just down the hall here on the second floor, uh, was also responsible for address assignments across the county, ensured development applications, met county regulations, and kept county agencies updated on address and street name changes uh, Ugo earned a bachelor's degree in economics at St. Lawrence University and has a master's degree in s- sustainable urban planning uh, from George Washington University. Uh, congratulations to Ugo! We welcome him again now up to the 13th floor. Our Upcounty team has been doing uh, has been quite active on the hiring front recently. So also earlier this week, uh, Justine Gonzalez joined our uh, Upcounty team. Uh, as the division's trans- newest transportation planner, uh, his transportation-related career uh, has included positions in Puerto Rico uh, and with the Metropolitan Washington Council of Governments. Uh, previously, he was the U.S. Department of Transportation's Federal Highway Administra- uh, He was with the U.S. Department of Transportation's Federal Highway Administration. Uh, Justine's work focuses on multimodal transportation systems with an emphasis on Vision Zero and complete streets principles and strategies. Uh, Justine has a bachelor's degree in political science and geography from the University of Puerto Rico and a certificate of transportation planning and policy from Virginia Tech University, where he is also working towards a master's degree in urban and regional planning. So we welcome Justine to the team. Also this week. Uh, Tanya Lewis joined the director's office team as an executive assistant. Uh, Tanya is no stranger to the department as she's been serving in this role, the same role, uh, on a contract basis since 2021. Uh, With her hiring as a career employee, she'll actually be taking on some additional responsibilities, including the preparation of some of the office's internal communications. Uh, And... Tanya earned a uh, bachelor's degree in speech and language pathology from the University of the District of Columbia. And uh, I, I have to tell you, we could not be more thrilled to have her uh, joining us permanently in our office. We've also had a number of beloved uh, staff who've made invaluable contributions to our efforts over the years uh, be, uh, departing our, the department. And uh, one such person is Kristen Toddy, who did an outstanding job working to rebuild the reforest Montgomery program, uh, to plant trees and forests throughout the county, and to strengthen the county's forest conservation law uh, to achieve no net loss of forest. And we are certainly going to miss Kristen, uh, but we wish her the best, all the best. And then, of course, as you know, uh, last month, Deputy Director. Tanya Sturt announced that she had accepted a position as the planning director for Prince William County, Virginia. Tanya's last day uh, in the office was last week. However, she'll be back today uh, for an event which, in which we'll celebrate her time with us uh, and her many contributions to the planning department, and we'll get an opportunity to wish her well in her, and good luck in her new role. Uh, during her five and a half years, Here, uh, Tanya helped guide and made important contributions to uh, a whole host of uh, significant efforts that we've uh, uh, undertaken, including the update to our general plan, uh, the 2020 update to the growth and infrastructure policy, our street renaming effort, the uh, mapping segregation project, corridor forward, the corridor forward plan, the pedestrian master plan, uh, several major research efforts, the creation and rollout of the departments uh equity agenda for planning our efforts on the climate action plan uh vision zero uh many many more uh it's it's tough to enumerate all of the different ways and different projects that uh tanya has put her uh her touch on uh, over her five years with us um but of course uh you know you know Quite possibly her greatest contribution uh, came over the course of the last year or so as she, when she served as acting director for about 14 months during a, a time of uh, somewhat a turbulent time in, in our department's history. And she provided, you know, a really uh, outstanding, stabilizing leadership over the course of that time. And we really appreciate that. I think I, I speak on behalf of the entire department when we say you know, we're really, really appreciative and thank, thank her for all of her contributions. Um, I also would like to personally thank Tanya for having had the opportunity to work side by side with her on many of these projects and uh, learn from her. And to have just been able to have that experience working with her is, is great. And I look forward to continuing to do that at a different capacity with uh, a, more, a more of a regional basis um i will note that uh with tanya's departure i've uh appointed bridget proyer who had been chief of our communications division uh as uh and she's actually been leading all of our communications efforts for about 10 years here uh she is the acting deputy director and she'll be overseeing the work of four of our divisions the research and strategic projects division the uh Information Technology and Innovation Division, the Management Services Division, and her old division, the Communications Division. Um, With that, Chris Pfeiffer, who has been with the department for over nine years, uh, he will be serving as the Acting Communications Chief. And George Lettis, who joined us about a year ago, will be uh, taking over uh, and acting role in Chris's role as our Communications Manager. So a lot of kind of things transition taking place, but I could say from a the director's office window, uh, uh, we or just at least within the director's office, we're eager and excited about the, the kind of the rebirth of a new year and uh, kind of new leadership, and we're we're ready to to, to
0: move forward. Uh, th- thank you, uh, Director Saltori. Uh, uh, thank you. I really appreciate the. The over the looking for in in 2024, you know, and your your updates and and it's it's so good that you also highlighted the people that, the new people that are that are being advanced in in the organization and and highlighting also some of the people that were le- leaving. So it's just it's great that you have that that broad perspective. So thank you so much for your presentation. Uh, If if no other questions, we'll move on. uh, So thank you so much. And we're just going to take a 30-second break, and we'll start with uh, item number eight, which is the fiscal year 24 budget transfer requests planning department where staff is recommending approval. So thank you. Uh, good morning you. again. Uh, we're Thank on item number eight, fiscal year 24 budget transfer request, planning department, where Karen Warnick will give us a presentation and staff is recommending approval. Good morning.
7: Good morning. Uh, Karen Warnick, Management Services Chief for Montgomery Planning. Um, yes, we are here today requesting a budget transfer for the uh, planning department for the first six months of the year. Uh, we, um, the budget is, is divided generally into two kind of buckets either personnel or non-personnel um, and so we were asking a transfer today because we had um, a couple vacancies in two different divisions and they filled those uh, covered those duties by having um, temp agencies um, staff come and fill those duties in um those temp agency staffs are contracts, and so they are in the non-personnel budget is where they are paid out of. So we have the funding to pay those um, contracts in the personnel budget, because they're covering that um, those duties, and we today would like to transfer those funds from personnel to the non-personnel so that we can align the budget with where the expenditures are actually happening. Um, if anybody has any questions, I'm happy to answer them.
0: Uh, any of the board members have questions? Uh- no. no. So, so do I have a motion to approve the fiscal year budget transfer request from the planning department where staff is recommending an approval?
2: I move to approve the transfer of the budget from personnel to non-personnel, correct?
0: Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 The ayes have it. Thank you so much. So we'll just take an, uh, a one-minute break, and, and then we'll come back for item number five, replacement of brick, Brink Road Bridge number M0064 over Great Seneca hey, Creek. Midnight, Thank right. you. Good morning, Uh, we're on item number five, replacement of Brink Road Bridge number M0064 over Great Seneca Creek, mandatory referral project MR2024004, where staff is recommending transmittal with comments, Um, transmittal of comments. So we have uh, Steve Aldridge and Doug Stevens here to present, and we also have some members of the MCDOT here. And then we also have one uh, a resident uh, online to speak, okay? So, welcome.
8: Great. <laughs> Great, for the record, um, my name is Steve Aldridge. I'm with the Countywide Planning and Policy Division. Uh, today I'm joined at the table here by Doug Stevens from Montgomery Parks. Um, and in the audience we have um, Dan Sheridan and Brian Copley from Montgomery County Department of Transportation and their consultant uh, Bradley Mowbray from Gannett Fleming um today I'm going to take to walk you through the review of the proposed Brink Road bridge over Great Seneca Creek uh, and the review that we um, that we've worked on to, to present you t- today um, I do want to mention um, just to sort of add on to your comments mr. chair that we we received additional testimony which is, certainly was in your packet um, from three um, three residents um, well actually one from the Great the Greater Goshen Civic Association, and then to residents as well, um, which we'll discuss later in the presentation. Um, so to, you know, the presentation we're going to um, sort of take you through an introduction of what you know what the project is, what are some of the design elements of the project, and then spend a lot of time talking about um, master plan consistency, um, how this project helps to meet um, the various master plan goals. Um, This project also has been looked at from the historic preservation side, both by by the Maryland uh, Highway Trust, as well as by our historic preservation staff. Um, And as well by, um, will be looked at in more detail by folks at parks. Um, We we then conduct an environment analysis. We look in detail at park land impacts, which Doug will take a, a fair amount of the presentation on that. Uh, and then we, we conclude with the staff review and recommendations uh, for your consideration. So the, the Brinker Road Bridge is, is actually the rehabilitation of an existing deteriorating bridge with a wider structure. Um, so what would actually happen is that the entire top of the, the bridge would be removed. Um, the abutments would be extended to the south with wing walls. And then a new superstructure would be built, built on top. Um, and the project actually is going to raise, I believe, the center of the bridge a little bit because um, this 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 creek has experienced some overtopping problems during during high flood periods, and that's going to help to alleviate that that to some extent. Um, this bridge was built in 1972, um, and you know, partially due to the flooding, but also due to a very high traffic volume um, with some pretty heavy truck volumes. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's deteriorated. deteriorated. Um, it is two lanes with no, no um, shoulders. Um, and uh, it, it's busy almost all day. Um, this is a pretty major, Brink Road is a pretty major um, east-west connection. as part of the whole Whiteman, uh, snow for school, you know, you, you can name all the roads, Muncaster Mill. Uh, and a lot of traffic use this uh, almost as an internal. Uh, I think one of the comments called it almost like its own inter-county inter- connector. Um, it is a major, um, a major route within the county. Uh, they also, as part of this project, because of its proximity to the intersection of, of Brink and Whiteman, um, the intersection is going to be modified and improved. Um, you know, one because the the limits of. Brink Road itself is actually widening as part of this bridge. Um, And in addition, a parking access uh, will be provided along Whiteman just south of Brink Road uh, to provide access to the Seneca Greenway Trail for park users. Um, This project has been fully funded. Uh, It's budgeted at $5.55 million. Um, Construction is, is anticipated to begin in summer 2025 and be completed within four months. Uh, and during that entire time, from June to August, um, the bridge would be closed, um, necessitating some, some pretty significant diversions of traffic um, because there, there are very few alternatives to this, this, this route. Uh, the project length, and actually I think that number there is a mistake, it's, it's 1,000 feet. Um, and as you can see, um, there's more work on the approach um, the approach to the, to the west um, because of the, the, the design of the road. Um, and it provides transition so that the, the actual cross-section across the bridge is wider than um, it is on Brink Road on, on either side. And as I mentioned, a slightly higher elevation of the bridge over the, over the creek. Uh, I did show um, the Seneca Greenway Trail with sort of a green, sh- green line. So you can see how it comes and crosses um, this area, um, you know, that, that to some extent explains the crosswalks that exist today with no other pedestrian facilities in the area. Um, and certainly we'd like to continue and we'd love to see more people use this trail. Um, it's a great resource. Uh, I wanted to show you how the, the, the bridge widening is actually occurring. Uh, from on this plan, the existing bridge deck is, is shown in the sort of the gray shading, um, and the the full bridge would widen um, would widen the existing bridge by eight uh, by 12 feet to the south, um, and as and as you can see, it would, it would require you know pouring new bridge abutments and, and wing walls um, to, to suit. The bridge cross section will provide 37, 4 feet inches wide superstructure um, which includes railings on both sides and that leaves 33 feet uh, clear uh, within the roadway surface. Um, the proposed design is proposed to provide two 11 foot wide travel lanes and two 6 feet wide shoulders. Uh, The design of the bridge provides space uh, for pedestrians using the proposed shoulders, um, and the posted speed limit currently is 35 miles an hour. Um, The project has not proposed to reduce um, or increase um, the speed limit within this project. So now we're going to um, look at some consistency issues. The first one is consistency with the Complete Streets Design Guide, Um, Brink Road, Um, and a portion of Whiteman Road in this area are classified as a country connector. Um, A country connector has a target speed of 40 miles an hour and a couple other things. And just in terms of consistency, um, 35 is lower than 45, so it's consistent. The proposed 11-foot travel lanes, again, consistent. Um, Side path on one side of the street, um, you know, the shoulders that are being proposed, um, that's not consistent. Um, Shoulders are another uh, default design condition on a country connector, uh, and that they are providing. Uh, And a side path is not being provided. So, um, you know, the Complete Streets Design Guideline provides a lot of different, um, I, I guess, sort of a wide range of what can be done on a connector. And in some cases, um, especially shoulders, those are usually the default when there's not a master plan bike facility, um, which as I'll present to you a little bit later on this section, there is. So for master can- plan consistency, um, this is a country connector. Um, there, there is no master plan target speed on Brink Road today. Um, the master plan of highways technical update that I'm working on this year and will be coming to you in, uh, likely in April Uh, will hopefully uh, place a target speed on this road. Uh, The bicycle master plan uh, calls for a side path along the south side of Brink. Road. can
2: I just ask you again? Could you again? So there is no master plan right now for Brink Road. Is that what you said?
8: No master plan target speed. 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 I'm sorry, yes. No master oh. plan target speed. Okay. Yeah. I that was mod- wondering
2: that if there is any other master plan for the road by itself, not just the speed. You
8: mean in terms of design? The le-
2: yeah, the length and weight that what is the future of Brink Road?
8: Sure. That, I will get to that. In- so we have that. Okay, yes. thank you. Um, so uh, one of the findings from from our review here is that the, the master plan recommendations, which include a, a side path on the south side of Brink Road, um, will not, not be provided with a proposed bridge design, um, as, as the bridge width is not wide enough as, as designed um, to, to provide it. So, you know, when I talk a little bit about the bicycle master plan, um, the side path is proposed uh, as part of a continuous side path network along Whiteman Road um, all the way uh, up to up to Ridge Road on Brink Road. Um, it would cross uh, Whiteman Road at the crosswalk, right at the intersection, um, and then would continue up. Um, it's currently not in the county CIP. Um, it's currently not a high priority. Um, and I think for us, the distinction here is that... Uh, it's an, this is an important bridge project, but it's also, um, it, while it looks very green on this graphic, it's very close to a lot of neighborhoods. And so it also connects to the Seneca Greenway Trail. Um, so there, there's a lot of elements that we think are, are worth considering. Um, from the master plan of highways, this road uh, is a country connector. Uh, it's master plan with only two travel lanes, uh, but with an 80 foot wide right of way, uh, master plan right of way. One thing that you'll find from the, the plan set is that much of Brink Road through this area is actually um, on, on a prescriptive right-of-way through parks. Um, and, and through some of the work that's been done on this project, um, uh, you know, that will most of it will be no more as, as a lot of a lot of land is being proposed to be transferred, um, per- purchased um, from parks to um, to Mon- Montgomery County DOT. Uh, Based on uh, the master plan conformity, consistency, uh, a cross-section recommended to achieve the master plan vision uh, is wider than what is proposed by the consultant by 8 feet. Um, And what we're showing here is, you know, I would say on the left is very consistent, a 6-foot shoulder, 11-foot travel lanes. Um, You know, the difference is the the proposed bridge then has a 6-foot shoulder, and what we're showing here is a, a two-foot shoulder and then a, um, a curb with a side path with a handrail um, due to the travel speeds and the traffic volumes, um, you know, for a total, I guess I would call a side path width from the, the curb to the um, parapet of 12 feet.
0: Can I just ask a quick question if you yes. go back to the previous slide?
9: Sure.
0: Why, if the rail, the, the, you would propose a rail, this rail section along the bridge, right? But once, just say you got outside the bridge, there would be no rail, right? Right. Right. And the purpose of the rail at the bridge is versus not. Off the bridge is what? Why would you have a, a rail?
8: So uh, not on a bridge. Typically, we would want to see a buffer, and usually a vegetated buffer of about six feet between the um, either a bike facility or a pedestrian facility and the roadway. <laughs> um, and especially once speeds get above thirty miles an hour, um, the risk to those users um, becomes much higher. Um, so the handrail is in an area where. Um, you know, realistically, you can't put grass on a bridge or it will be hard to grow because uh, it will be very, very, not very deep. Um, so the, the, the purpose of the handrail is just to give a little bit added protection, um, especially, um, you know, uh, given the speed of traffic along this road.
0: So in an ideal world, you, you would have, after you got off the bridge, there would be a six-foot buffer you, and then the eight-foot side path?
8: Than an eight-foot side path. Yeah,
0: the other buffers
8: um, wouldn't be be needed, um, so it it would that would still be fourteen feet. So it would actually, you know, if you take the two-foot sh- the two-foot shoulder, that whole distance would it could be replicated with the six-foot and eight-foot, but it would have to transition over.
10: David Onspacher, um, acting division chief, for the record. While probably ideally we would love to maintain a six foot buffer, um, you know, both on and off the bridge, bridge structures are expensive, they're on environmental features, um, so oftentimes we're trying to keep them narrower. So, a substitute for that on a bridge for that um, six foot buffer that we would ideally prefer to have is this uh, vertical
2: but let me understand I'm I'm really confused with all of these numbers in here we have just a 30-foot long bridge and the approaches are probably just two-lane there is no bike path no site no nothing on approaches and we are going for the 30-foot long bridge Uh, do uh, what is it right now it's 30 counties doing 42 and we are saying 50 foot wide that goes to nowhere I don't understand that Um, uh, you know even the railing the railing is going to be just on 30 foot there is nothing on the approaches that Nobody really going to use this and This is not even a complete bridge replacement. This is just a, a Superstructure replacement the life of this bridge Would be anywhere between 30 to 50 because we are not replacing the abutments. We're just replacing the superstructure and usually the superstructure has a 30 foot Uh, Within 20 to 30 years, you're going to have to do some kind of major rehab or replacement. And we are building something on a 30-foot-long bridge that is not going to be used at all within the next, because it's not, you just said it, it's not in the CIP. It's not in the high priority. And bridges are very expensive. And um, I know that they have limited funding for the bridges and it's so many other ones in the queue. And um, actually, I, would, I have Dan Sheridan here. There are the three bridges in Potomac and I tried to widen them. They're one lane, one lane. And very dangerous, because I travel that a lot. And 20 years ago, 30 years ago I tried to widen it just to make it too lane, and I was not able to do that we have to spend the money on those bridges not for something that we just spend it and let it deteriorate because that's how I see it I understand that we want to do the master plan I understand that I support hundred percent to have bypass and everything but this is just 30 foot long, and nothing else.
8: Well, certainly, um, Commissioner Pedouin, I, I think we can, um, as we get to questions, so we can have some discussions with um, the applicant. Um, you know, in terms of the, the life of the bridge and, and when there would be opportunities to, to actually add the side path, that certainly could be a discussion. Um, planning staff, we, um, we're not bridge engineers, so we, we're not... I guess, as aware of the, the lifespan um, of expansion. Um, and I would assume that when the, the superstructure is removed that there can be some rehab as well. But um, we can we could have more discussion about that as we get there.
10: And if I, I could just chime in. The the board did review another similar bridge project a number of months ago. There's a lot yes. of similar discussion along yes. these lines where the board ultimately ended up was a recommendation that when MCDOT brings bridge projects, um, to, the plan, to the planning board um, that it also comes with the, the side paths or the bikeways that extend some distance. Um, it would be an expansion, of course, of the project, but that was the comment that the, the board made. This project has been in the pipeline for many years. I think, frankly, the last time that the planning staff saw this bridge project was probably predate Steve. I think it was like 2014, 2015. Um, but it is a comment the Board has made in the past. It is consistent with our master plans, so that's why we're bringing this to you. Yeah,
2: I understand, but this Brink Road is under in the park. The majority of it is in the park. I know the bridge very well.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Our hands are tight. You need to do some kind of balancing between the environment, between the cost, and between what is really, in reality, makes sense to do okay, Um, the expansion of Brink Road in future, it's going to have a major impact to the park system and environmental. And it's not easy to do. And the same thing uh, by increasing the wheat. DOT, you know, I I again remember that. Piney Meeting House and Glenn Orlin, Dr. Orlin. I was there... He called me Mitra skinny bridges because I used to put shoulder and sidewalk on the bridges. That was the way that I like to do. And they took it all away. It went to the council and they said that we don't want you to put sidewalk because it's sidewalk turnover on the bridge. I had to redesign the whole bridge that way. So we have just uh, to consider the balance to the environment to our parks department.
8: All right. Um, I guess one thing I will offer right now that might be worth considering is that um, the width width of the side path and the handrail and the concern about separating pedestrians who can walk on Rink rink Road and can cross this bridge um, has a lot to do with the speed. Um, And with a, a new bridge, and a new intersection and a parking lot and potentially Mm -hmm. a traffic signal at this location, which MCDOT is considering, um, there might be a justification for lowering the speed through this area down to 25. Mm -hmm. Um, 25 might be tough, 30 30 definitely, but maybe 25. Um, And if that happened, um, some of these concerns would be certainly mitigated.
0: So so Mr. Aldridge, we'll get to it, toward yeah. the end, we're going to let you and the team finish their presentation. Okay, and then great. We can come back with questions and comments, but, but thank, thank you.
8: As part, of, um, as part of the application, the applicant did submit a detour study. Um, that detour study was largely incomplete. Uh, it was completed in 2015. Uh, it looked in a lot of detail at existing conditions, but uh, it did not uh, evaluate, uh, I don't know if you remember, for Redland Road. Um, a detour study was provided, and it actually looked at where the traffic would divert and actually proposed signal timing changes at several intersections to accommodate that diversion um, this didn 't occur for this project, um, which is a little problematic because this road carries today 13,000. 13, I think at times it might have actually has might have gone over fifteen i mean it 's a very busy it 's a very busy connection there are few. Alternatives to Brink Road through this area, and there are a lot of p- people using this for interregional and interregional travel. Um, so when you close this, there are some people that I mean you, some, lot of, some of this traffic may not not even show up at the intersection of Brink and w- Whiteman. Uh, they may find other alternative routes. Certainly traffic that is now on Whiteman that uses the Brink Road Bridge uh, will divert pretty, pretty quickly to Montgomery Village. Um, and, and, you know, and I think some of this traffic is also trying to get to 270, uh, as well as to Clarksburg. So um, a really comprehensive detour study, I think, can look very carefully at um, how much traffic it is anticipated on each of these roads, could actually look at the potential impact of cut-through traffic, um, when, you know, during during the four months of construction. Um, and similar, similar to Red, Redland Road could recommend some um, some traffic calming mitigation measures maybe for some of the neighborhoods, and I guess I'm thinking on Blunt Road in particular, um, to make sure that the impacts of this bridge uh, reconstruction um, are are handled from a traffic mitigation perspective. Uh, Historic preservation staff uh, did did a review of this project. They, They note that the bridge is not listed on either the Montgomery County Master Plan for Historic Preservation or the locational atlas of an index of historic sites. There are are no Master Plan Historic Sites or districts within the area. Um, Historic Preservation does note that uh, Montgomery Parks Cultural Resources stewardship staff have previously coordinated with the applicant to ensure that a nearby archeological site on parkland remains outside the limits of a disturbance and that the applicant should continue to work with Montgomery Parks uh, as needed um, regarding any change to the LOD on parkland and to resolve any concerns um, related to the archeological site. Uh, From the environmental side, uh, the project does, you know, a lot lot of the area is, is parkland and it contains environmental buffers, streams, and other sensitive features. It is located within the Great Seneca Creek Watershed. Uh, The project is exempt from submission of a forest conservation plan. Um, That that was granted back in 2022. Um, And while the project is is exempt, the applicant's still um, required to minimize forest cutting, clearing, and loss of specimen trees to the extent possible. Um, And there's a limit in terms of 20,000 square feet Of uh, forest to be cut or cleared, uh, and they, you know, if it it exceeds that, they must reforest a suitable area. um, And mitigation um, for loss of specimen or champion trees. Um, The applicant has minimized limits of disturbance, minimizing the amount of forest clearing and impacts to large, and specimen trees, large trees and specimen trees. Um, The project proposes to remove. less than 9,000 square feet of forest, which is below the forest clearing threshold of 20,000 feet, and therefore the applicant is not required to provide reforestation uh, per um, forest conservation uh, law. Um, there might be some, you know, that, that's sort of separate from park, parkland impacts. The applicant has submitted to tree-save plan in conjunction with mandatory referral process um, and they proposed uh, quite a lot of mitigation uh, consisting of stream bank plantings of live stakes, wrapped soil lifts, um, tree plantings, shrub plantings, and floodplain seed mix plantings. I'm a traffic engineer, so I, I actually had to learn what all those things were. <laughs> and it's pretty fascinating. Uh, the plant also proposes the removal of numerous trees ranging aside from 8-inch eight, eight caliber up to approximately 26-inch diameter breast height. Um, Now, Doug Stevens is going to take us through the parkland analysis and review. Doug. Thanks,
5: Steve. Doug Stevens with Montgomery Parks Park Planning and Stewardship Division. Um, So, I think you have a pretty good overview, you know, at this point of what the project is. But I'll I'll reiterate a couple things and and we'll talk about some of the impacts here. So, uh, like Steve mentioned, um, this project is within the Great Seneca Stream Valley Park. Um, and so, this is one of our, our obviously our stream valley parks that you know kind of runs um, along the Great Seneca Creek um, for, for quite a ways. Uh, the total acreage of this whole park is over 1500 acres. Um, and what we're talking about today are um, two units of that park. So, a stream valley park is broken down into different units, um, you know, so that you can better locate yourself um, within that system because these can get pretty lengthy. So, we are within units two and three um, for this project. Um, the Great Seneca Creek is a tributary to the Potomac River, and as was mentioned before, um, our only recreational amenity uh, that is within uh, the project area is the Natural Surface uh, Seneca Greenway Trail. Uh, and I guess, sorry, Steve, can you go back? Yep, sorry. Finish a couple items on that slide. Um, so the for the proposed uh, DOT uh, design, as it as it uh, was submitted to us, um, we are looking at roughly four. 14,000 uh, square feet of permanent impact on parkland and then um, a, a bigger number 37,000 square feet of temporary impact so the temporary impact um, is basically just the area that's needed to do the work um, for access and staging and things like that during construction um, and then that area is restored and is uh, continued to be maintained as parkland after the project whereas that 14,000 square feet um, as it stands right now, that's the area um, that would be needed um, either for you know actual new infrastructure or right away um, related to the improvements. Um, there are, um, on parkland, uh, 17 tree removals right now. On parkland, we require our applicants um, to survey trees six inches and greater and mitigate for for, for those trees. So right now we have uh, 17 trees that will be removed on parkland and will be mitigated for um, through our, our standard uh, mitigation practice of you know planting the equivalent inches of trees um, back on parkland and in an adjacent area. For this project, um, there is no stream work proposed. Um, so the stream, um, the width of the stream and the width of the bridge over the stream, so not the width um, for like the traffic, but I guess you would look at the length of the bridge and the width of the stream because they are 90 degrees to each other, um, that is not changing. So the stream cross section is not changing. Um, and, and they're not doing any major work you know, within the waterway. Um, the abutments and things like that are outside of, of the stream banks, so there is no stream work proposed uh, with this project.
1: Can I ask a quick question? Is there any yeah. proposed stream work for that area or along near that, that bridge in the
5: future or contemplated or anything like that?
1: Does that stream need any uh, updating or anything? Like in this location, we don't have
5: any plans to do okay. any type of stream work um, within the immediate area.
1: Okay.
5: Um, so I mentioned the Seneca Greenway Trail. Just a little bit more information about that trail. Um, it, you know, it run, runs the length of uh, Great Seneca Creek in um, uh, in our parkland. Uh, it's about 7.8 miles long, and you can travel from Damascus Regional Park uh, further north, um, south, all the way down to Seneca Creek State Park. And then, you know, it's actually part of a much bigger trail system um, where you can you can link many different trails. Um, but this trail is about eight miles long. Um, we've worked with DOT as Steve had showed, you know, this kind of the trail crosses the intersection. Um, and so we'll want to maintain, you know, trail access throughout the project so that folks can continue to get through the area. So that will be done. Um, and then we'll get into it a little bit more later. Um, but there will be a, a improved and a new and improved, um, parking lot, um, situated, uh, at, at this intersection to facilitate trail access.
11: Quick quick question on the sure. on that. Um, do you anticipate any removal, any any necessary removal of of any kind of environmental features trees for the expanded uh, parking
5: lot? No, no, and I can address that in more detail in just a couple of slides. Okay, yes. thanks. Just a little bit more on, on Great Seneca Creek here. Um, like I said, we are not proposing any uh, work, or DOT is not proposing any work within the stream at this location. Uh, just a couple of photos of, of the stream that we have here on the slide. Um, this stream is designated as a use class 1-P stream. and I think the important thing to think about with that is that this is um, you know, designated as a public water supply stream. Um, you know, so we, uh, you know, we are uh, aware of that. Um, and again, there is no work here. Within the stream, but if there were to be any that you know originated as uh, in later stages of the design, um, the Maryland Department of Environment does enforce time of year restrictions when no work can happen within the stream. And for this, for this system, it would be March first through June fifteenth. But again, at this time, that should not be a problem for this project. All right, so we're going to spend a few slides talking about the right of way because there's um, some nuance here that is uh, a little bit different um, than. Some of our other projects. I've already mentioned um, that we have about 14,000 square feet of parkland that is needed for the right of way to accommodate uh, the new bridge, the uh, road improvements leading up to the bridge, and some stormwater management needs. Um, park staff, we've looked at these impacts, um, and we've concluded, you know, that that number um, is reasonable and does benefit the public good for this project. Um, the way that uh, this land would be converted for right of ways through a release agreement. Um, that would be contingent upon you know our, our normal requirements for for DOT right away um, you know uh, generally a payment you know at, at market rate for that land um, but in this case additionally some of this land has to fulfill some DNR requirements um, related to the original funding source of the for the purchase of this land.
8: Doug, could you explain the colors?
5: <laughs> yeah, um, I think and there is there is a legend on on the slide there. I think the important thing for for my uh, my perspective is that that purple or blue color uh, designates parkland that will be converted to MCDOT right away. Um, there is some other, like, like Stephen mentioned before, um, the right away in this area was not clear. It's generally a prescriptive right away. There was actually some private land that was involved um, and then some existing right away that they had. But I think the important thing from the parkland perspective on this slide is that that, that bluish purple color, Uh, is right now what's being proposed to be converted from parkland to MCDOT right away.
2: So, Doc, this um, impacts to the parkland for 10 square foot is based on what DOT is proposing? That's correct. It's based on
5: what DOT submitted to us. So,
2: if we go wider, it's going to be more impact, correct?
5: We would have to evaluate that, yes. Okay,
2: thank you.
5: Go to the next slide. Yeah, so the pro- program open space, like I said, um, this one is a little bit more nuanced than some of our other ones. So program open space provides funding for parkland. And in this case, um, about 10,000 square feet that is proposed for right-of-way conversion was purchased um, through the program open space program. Um, the program has similar requirements to MNCPPC concerning the conversion of parkland um, to a non-park use. And in a preliminary review uh, Maryland DNR has agreed that this conversion is allowable uh, with mitigation and MCDOT will need to provide MNC PPC an equivalent parcel of land uh, improved for park use and so that is what you're seeing on the screen here in that in the red polygon uh, MCDOT proposes to purchase a part of that property that is not currently parkland it is private property at this time um, and to improve it with a uh, ADA accessible uh, parking lot for our trail system here. And so that will that will satisfy those additional Maryland DNR uh, program open space requirements.
2: So out of 14,000 square foot, 9,870 was purchased by POS, correct? yes
5: Right now, okay. as as the impact stand, you know, with the okay. current design.
8: And and it's worth noting that the actual design of the parking lot um, I'm not sure that that's included as part of the applicant's uh, current actions.
5: That's correct. Yeah, we don't have a design of the parking lot yet, but it'll provide, like I said, ADA accessible uh, parking and access to the trail, an appropriate number of parking spaces, um, and you know, safe uh, entrance and, and yeah. exiting from that parking lot.
1: And that's part of what—that's part of the way we're mitigating. The, that's correct. The tra- yes. I, that's what I'm, I want to be clear about: that this parking lot with access to the trail is part of the mitigation of the transfer of the project
5: open space. Exactly. Yeah, it's park part of the parkland yes. mitigation um, okay. for the impacts and the right of way needs. No, I
0: just to confirm and
5: that. again, fulfilling those DNR requirements, which are above and beyond mm-hmm. MNCPPC mm-hmm.
0: requirements. Absolutely. And there currently is a parking lot there today, or there's no parking. Lot. Currently,
5: there's some um, shoulder parking that is out there um, on I, on the what would be on this screen, kind of on the bottom of Whiteman Road, um, but it's it's certainly not ideal. Um, so this will be again a much safer access, um, you know, for the park. Obviously, you know, the way just the way that this intersection and the trail system relate, um, you know, it's a little bit awkward because you do have those two uh, crosswalks that have to be used, and you know, that's not, none of that is changing. Um, and so this, you know, this parking area is on the other side of the road, but to, in order to to use the trail, you know, through this area, you have to use those crosswalks anyway, um, and those will be improved. Um, a bit through this project, and then, you know, the the entrance from the parking lot to the trail would be right into those crosswalks. And the, informal have-
8: parking, the, sorry, the, the informal parking, I'm sorry, the informal parking, while not, uh, you know, pr- pr- provided specifically, is used, and, yeah. you know, if you go out there on the weekend or even during the day, uh, you'll see people parking there and using it.
2: Who owns the land? Does DOT own it, or they go, they're planning to purchase it?
5: They would be purchasing this land from a, a private owner.
2: Okay, they and are willing. They are willing sellers. Do we know?
5: I believe that, that DOT real estate has has done some preliminary research into that, um, but you know, again, we we are not at that point where I think they're making any offers at this time.
11: Just out of curiosity, given the, I know we haven't seen a design of the parking lot. I don't know if we have, if this is the kind of project where it's subject to mandatory referral um, or not, but um, given the proximity to uh, the the stream or the creek, um, are there any county requirements for like impervious surface to make sure that there's not runoff, um, mm-hmm.
5: yeah, excess runoff? Yeah. Yes, so this, uh, in addition to the, there would be stormwater management for the parking lot impervious surface that okay. would be required.
6: Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Good here.
5: Um, so I think we probably covered a bit of this, but just to kind of conclude this uh, conversation, um, you can see um, in, the, in the picture on, on the bottom left, the parcel of land there, the two crosswalks. Um, and, and so that parking lot you know, would be in that area uh, so that you can kind of visualize that in that open space there. And then that corner would, would be improved a bit. Um, and again, it would be ADA compliant to provide access to the Seneca Greenway Trail
8: and i will note that you know at least per the plat that was shown um, the owner of that parcel is present today and will be speaking at yeah for
1: the parking lot plot then. yeah
8: All right, so uh, from community outreach standpoint, while, while there have been um, quite a bit of discussions through the Up County Advisory Board, there have been no, um, no public meetings held for this project at least since 2016. Um, there is a virtual public meeting planned for um, sometime this winter or spring. Um, this is actually pretty non-standard for mandatory referrals. We prefer to have the public uh, comments. Um, in advance of the planning board um, so that that can help inform your decisions. Um, it was originally scheduled for the fall, probably probably more like December, but it, it didn't occur on time. Um, did want to mention that we, as part of the staff report, we had uh, one email comment from the Greater Goshen Civic Association, which we posted as Attachment B. Um, but since that time, we've also received Um, in your packet. Three comments. Uh, One, a much expanded comment from the Greater Goshen Civic Association, um, and Kathleen Sankowski is here today to talk about that, as well as letters uh, or emails from Tim Berry and Christelle Bivens. I don't know if, um, Mr. Sheriff, you would like to have comments now or go to the end of the presentation and then come back to the, the speakers.
0: Okay. Let's go to the end of presentation and we'll come back Great. to the speakers. Uh,
8: so planning staff has uh, some recommended comments. Uh, the first one, um, which seems to be a little controversial, is to widen the proposed bridge by eight feet uh, in order to provide the entire master plan vision, uh, which is essentially a side path on the south side of Brink Road. Um, it, it, this would be a facility that would, would be required to connect to the Seneca Greenway Trail um, and would provide a safer crossing of that bridge at the current speed limit. And this is the cross-section I showed you folks earlier, um, which is included in the recommendation. We also recommend that um, the applicant complete their detour, detour study to really ensure that traffic impacts during construction will be minimal or mitigated by construction mitigation efforts, um, and from the um, this third comment is that prior to any land disturbing activities, the applicant must have a forest conservation exemption plan that matches the final layout and design of the project, including limits of disturbance. Uh, from the park side. Um, Doug, you want to just read these? Sure, I can okay. go through them.
5: Uh, mitigation for impacts to park trees with a <laughs> six-inch DBH or greater damaged or removed shall either be one shall be, shall be replacement planting on parkland at a rate of one inch to one inch diameter, or a monetary per-inch caliber basis at the rate of hundred dollars a diameter inch to be paid to Montgomery Parks. Prior to completion of construction I'll just add a note that in this area we do have adjacent land to plant trees and so our preference is to plant trees adjacent to the site um, construction plans must be submitted to the MNC PPC Department of Parks for review as part of the park construction permit process to ensure that all work is performed in accordance with MNC PPC standard details specifications and policies no work on park land may occur until an approved park construction permit is issued for the project M- MCDOT must continue to coordinate with MNCPPC on the refinement of the trail connections and proposed stormwater uh, management facility design t- and tie-ins. Montgomery Park's tree mitigation fee will be fulfilled through the on-site planting of a diverse tree shrub. And uh, I think that's a typo there. Shrub is listed twice. Diverse tree and shrub pallet approved by Montgomery Parks. And MCDOT must compensate the MNCPPC at fair market value for all land that will be transferred MNC Great Seneca Stream Valley Park to MCDOT's Road Right-of-Way, estimated at approximately 14,000 square feet. Payment for the transferred land must occur before issuance of the park construction permit. The new Right-of-Way area will be transferred to MCDOT by MNC via a release agreement recorded in the county land records. And the last one, MCDOT must provide an appropriate parcel of new parkland as a replacement for the state program open space funded parkland that this project will convert to right away. approximately 9,870 square feet prior to the issuance of a park construction permit.
2: If you have item 9, then in my opinion, item 8 should not be 14,000 square foot. Should be the difference between 14,000 and 9870, huh? Because... The payment would be for the difference of these two, and then they transfer the land at 9870.
5: So, the item nine is fulfilling Maryland DNR's mitigation requirements for program open space, um, which is above and beyond MNCPPC's general requirements for parkland conversion.
2: I understand, but are we going to charge them again for that piece of? So, what is DOT going to pay for fourteen thousand a square foot, or they're going to pay for fourteen thousand minus ninety eight seventy because they're transferring that ninety eight seventy to the county to the commission?
5: Right. So, I mean, I think there's two ways to look at that. Again, standard our standard practice for Montgomery County parkland is that they, they pay us for, you know an equivalent amount for all the land that they need for the right for their right away needs. And then again, item nine, that parcel that's not fulfilling a necessarily a MNCPPC mitigation requirement. That's fulfilling a state requirement that's being enforced by Maryland DNR because of the funding source that was used. So I think it's it's I I do believe it's within your within your purview to decide how much um, you know DOT has to compensate parks for it. But you know, I was basing um, these recommendations on our standard. Practices where MCDOt would compensate MSCPPC for all the land that they need from us, um, and then again, there's that additional, um, you know, state requirement for program open space.
0: Okay, all right. So, so just that I'm on on top of this. So the there's fourteen thousand square feet of park land that they are taking, or you know, you're correct. Or they're taking this other the the ten. 9870 is part of that land? That's
5: within that 14,000.
0: Okay. It seems
2: like like that DOT, I understand your justification, I totally get it, but it's not fair that they pay for something that they replace, in my opinion.
1: I mean, I think that the the issue being that that parkland probably wouldn't be ours if we hadn't gotten the money from the state in the first place. Like, they gotta compensate us not only for the the, mon- the land and money needed to to do the project, but also for the fact that we have that money from the state, like that was state money that was part of it.
2: I know, but the land would be converted to park and planning land. I, I don't think we are talking about a lot of money anyway. Um, the value wouldn't be that high. That would be transferred, so we are not talking a lot of money. But um, yeah, I
5: mean the total is still fourteen thousand square feet, yeah. so it's not it's not it's a not large. That much. Thankfully, it's not a large amount of plant because no, we, you know, we've been able to work with the OT to reduce. Yeah, yeah reduce.
0: Okay. Right, so. okay. okay, great, great. Is that the end of your presentation? That's okay. the end of the
8: presentation. Um, I guess this. I guess would might be an ideal time to turn it back to you, Mr. Chair, for uh, discussion and
0: public comments. Great, great. So we have uh, Kathleen, what um, uh, S- 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 sent Kowski on the line. Uh, I'd like her to to give her presentation. And then we'll have the applicant, you can come up uh, and the applicant can give, be here for questions or give their presentation. Thank you. Go ahead, Ms. Sintkowski.
12: Good morning. Um, so I am uh, live in the area and um, I'm part of the Greater Goshen Civic Association. Uh, and I'm the only one who works from home who can do this uh, today. So. Um, just so you understand, our, our our area is in two different council members' districts and in two different police department districts. This road is one of the most dangerous roads in the entire Up County. Crystal Bivens had done a presentation for UCAB over a year ago, and in 1.7 miles from Ridge Road to Warfield, in three years, there were 80 reported accidents. Now I use the term reported because if a ticket is not issued, there is no report. So there was at least twice that many because there are accidents every day and they occur at Blunt and at this three-way stop and at Warfield. This is the those are the three most dangerous intersections in the entire UP County. We have been asking for help to make this road meet the safety and needs of the residents here, because this is all private driveways. People can't get in and they can't get out. And we are looking to have some relief. This has been going on for seven years uh, that we've been asking for help Um, to use statistics from 2015 is very unfair. And we really are requesting that you have to do another traffic study and a noise study because there's nobody on this road who is sleeping past 530 in the morning because of the tremendous traffic and the tremendous noise. The state police were out here and did a, a, a two hour, um, review and cited 25 different trucks with problems because uh, Senator King and the state police know that tractor trailers are using this as a cut through to avoid the way station on 270. This road is a serious problem and we need help. Um, I don't understand uh, why they, why, Whiteman Road was listed previously as an area connector. Now it's a country connector, which changes the speed to 40 miles an hour. People can't get in and out of their driveways at 40. You can't get in and out of the driveway at 30 miles an hour. I've been running off the road so many times trying to get in my driveway that I just stopped reporting it because nobody's going to do anything about it. So we're asking you to, to review the... Um, 2015, redo redo the 2015 study, especially when it comes to noise. We are asking for serious traffic calming. We we are on the list for speed cameras uh, for years, and nobody will answer us why we can't have them. Um, And there, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there is a park within another park within walking distance of our community. It's literally two blocks away with a huge parking lot. We have asked for sidewalks to connect those two parks because no one in our community can walk to either park because the road is so dangerous. Yes, yes.
0: Ms. Sinkowski, can you take just 30 seconds and wrap up, please? Okay.
12: That's it. I'm just, you know, just we want you to look at our, uh, what we're, what we submitted because there is a serious safety issue here. The other last thing I want to say is I don't understand why you're trying to buy, part of my land, when you had land pr- uh, already for a parking lot in a much safer um, a location across the road. Thank you for your time. All
0: right, thank you so much. Uh, there are uh, several comments in here. Would someone does it like to address some of the comments in that were pre- presented?
8: C- certainly. Uh, so in addition to um, to Ms. Zenkowski's comments, uh, Tim Berry submitted uh, a comment, as well as Crystal Bevins. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- there's, there's, a, there, there's a lot of similarities with Mrs. Sankowski's comments, uh, but I believe that there's there are also some concern about traffic on Blunt Road. Uh, when the bridge is closed, close Blunt Road is a, a very likely potential by, local bypass uh, mm-hmm. for traffic that's trying to get around this area. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned uh, during the Redland Road mandatory referral, um, we had two, two neighborhood streets where recommendations were, were added to make sure that the traffic calming was included as part of okay, the detour school. mitigation. Yeah. Um, there, there were also uh, some concerns placed about um, a, a bridge, uh, I think along Blunt, Blunt Road, asking that it be restricted to local traffic only during, during the construction. Um, and um, I could go through it in more. I'm just sort of summarizing some of, some of the key points.
1: Um, is, that, is that something we could condition as local traffic only with because blunt is not really a road so much as a
8: paved pathway that cars can drive on? Uh, I certainly <clears throat> I think as part of uh, DOT doing the detour study mm-hmm. um, that they could con- they could consider. Okay. Um, traffic calming restrictions, including um, local traffic only signage yeah. uh, along that road. That's certainly something we can include in the recommendation. Okay. Um, you know, again, um, as part of, uh, for any bridge reconstruction project, um, you know, pretty comprehensive detour study and maintenance of traffic yeah. plans have to be developed. Um, and that would be worked out um Sometimes that's often worked out beyond the mandatory referral stage. Beyond mandatory referral
1: stage, yeah. yeah. I think it's not an unreasonable request given the status of some of things.
0: <clears throat> okay, um, the, does the applicant like to give a presentation or to address any comments before we discuss it in, internally amongst the board?
5: Can I address one of um, the yes. commenter's questions quickly? Yes. Um, just one of the questions was, that she didn't understand why her why that parcel of land was being considered for for the parking lot, and, and I just want to reiterate that um, that parking lot is part of a DNR requirement to, because they are using MCDOT is proposing a conversion of parkland to a non park mm-hmm. use. They must provide new parkland um, that you know it, that can be used for a park use, um, and so we can't you know. We can't mitigate that dNR requirement on existing parkland. It has to be uh-huh. new parkland added to the system
1: may i may I ask a question real yes, quick already on that particular point <clears throat> so the trailhead is on the other side of the road from where the the proposed current parking uh lot will be is there any it, is is there any reason not to put it at the current plate the pull off spot that's right there is i don't know what the, what the dimensions are, but is it possible to put that and mitigate some other and mitigate some other way with another 10,000-ish square feet somewhere else along yeah. the line or is this like or is there a necessary reason that we need to not put a parking lot right there
5: the just the existing topography um mm-hmm. does not really allow for an expansion of of anything on that or on where the current shoulder parking is you, i don't I think, think the we north can side, do Any better, um, unfortunately, than the existing conditions out there now, just due to the existing topography and Mm -hmm. and the environmental constraints on that side.
1: Okay, so this is an option to this is an option to both uh, address the DNR requirements from the from the project open space, uh, in addition provide parking there that we cannot provide on the on the north south side of
0: the trailhead. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, and uh, she also commented on another place for parking. Is there another place for parking?
5: I'm not sure of the other um, park that was referred to. There is not yeah. another area that is adjacent to the, the Seneca Greenway Trail um, in the immediate area for okay. parking.
0: Yeah. Uh, um Ms. Sintkowski, what, what were you thinking of as the other parking area?
12: So uh, there was previously, Uh, across from where the new parking area, um, and believe me, our community is very uh, in tune with what is going on. Um, Across the road from there, there was land that belongs to the park that was designated for parking. And um, we also were told when the presentation was done to UCAB, that was on there at that time, this was a year ago, and that there would be sidewalks on both sides of the bridge because there's parking across the bridge on the shoulder. The other thing I wanna tell you is that that area uh, at the bottom of of Whiteman where you are proposing the parking is a very blind curve. And there, you can't, I don't know how people are gonna get in, I don't know how they're gonna get out of there safely because there are accidents at that corner constantly.
0: There is a stop sign or there will be a stop sign or
12: we were told there was going to be a, a, a street a, a light which is desperately needed with cameras because there's constant drag racing that goes on all through the night because they because they know that there's no police enforcement on this road at all because the police have told us we can't enforce anything on this road because it's too dangerous to pull someone over
0: okay thank you uh, so mm-hmm. there where is the proposed stop sign or stoplight supposed to be?
8: So, um, and maybe this is one the applicant can address the, the proposed signalization is not part specifically part of this project, mm-hmm. and so as part of this project, it would essentially be to continue the traffic control as is once reconstructed.
0: Um, Hello, this is Dan Sheridan with Montgomery County DOT, and I'll. Uh, we are working with our colleagues in uh, the Division of Transportation Engineering Operations to look at traffic calming and uh,
6: the potential of adding a uh, traffic signal at the, at the bridge as well.
0: Where the parking lot would be? Where, where, where would this light be? Could you, can you, do you have a sense on your plan? No, I think there would be a separate entrance to the parking lot. I believe that's what she's referring to. I think two separate. issues. This is Van Desjardins from from Gannett Fleming. Currently, the parking lot, as you mentioned, is not not um, part of the the current plan. Is going to be added. Uh, the The idea was to do the traffic signal at the intersection. I believe. Okay. Okay, so that's something that needs to be studied. Correctly. Okay. Okay. Great. So, um, any other? To address any comments that have been in, in before no, we uh, talk? No, uh,
6: other than the, the detour plan will be looked in in more detail at, at a later phase.
0: Okay, yep. great. So uh, let's take comments or
13: questions from the board uh, so we can... Uh, I have a comment or yeah. a question. Um, this road will be closed during the um, revitalization of the bridge, correct? And what was the length of time for the bridge? be?
8: Four months. Four essentially from June 15th, when the MDR restrictions are lifted, yeah. uh, and then as, essentially as quickly as they possibly
13: can. I know this road is used heavily by um, a lot of individuals, but it is also used by people who make their living off the land, farmers. Um, and they might not be able to endure the um, reroute of traffic as well as other people who don't make a living through agricultural means. Has any consideration be give, been given to um, the farmers in the area that that may have to endure the road closure? And if so, have they been allowed an opportunity for any input? Thanks. Uh,
14: we will be uh, conducting a public meeting um, in a couple months. And there'll be an opportunity for any farmers to come forward and discuss the, the issue.
13: My primary concern is um, the combines, the tractors, and the vehicles they need to use to to get back and forth to harvest crops. And the closure of this bridge for four months could, um, you know, impair their operations. Um, is a closure going to be after harvest period, or in the summer, or during the harvest period? Because I think that that's very important to know. Thanks.
8: It's being proposed during the summer.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let's th- talk about the bridge. Uh, so <coughs> the, it's my understanding that, so you're not removing the abutments and so you just like tear off the bridge and then the, the top part and then just adding a new top part. Is that what it is Who you're doing? <coughs>
14: Uh, yes, sir, um, this is Brian Copley, Montgomery County Department of Transportation. We are keeping the uh, existing abutment in place, we're widening it um, by approximately 13 feet and putting a new superstructure on it.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And then uh, the current road has no, once you go past the current bridge, it, there our shoulders are shoulders or no shoulders on this road currently? um immediately adjacent to the road
8: they're very limited shoulders um, they do widen out a little further to the west um, but it, it is it is sporadic yeah.
0: okay so part of my thinking if originally I was thinking that six feet um, if if the long term plan for this road I mean there it's not going to be widened in the long term I mean if there's four um, shoulders and maybe um, an extended um, side path and stuff like that I, I was thinking that the six foot at least that was to be provided would provide some way for people to get across and in, 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 mm-hmm. in, in the sh- um, if if the road had had um, plans for expansion or widening um, then I could see the side path you know all of that Going on, but if this is just a sort of a 20 year sort of replacement for the bridge and, and it does provide for some six feet, I was my r- original thinking with that was good enough for now. But I, I just wanted to hear about what the other board members thinking. Plus, you also have to go through the park. Yeah. If you have to expand, you would have to expand through the park. And so, mm-hmm. so but I'm open to what some of the other board members are, are yeah. saying um, on this.
1: Yeah. I, I support what's in the, what the recommendations from the staff for the full expansion, yeah. including the side path and the yeah. buffer, because, one, we have, a, we have a goal explicitly stated in a number of different areas to encourage walking. We have a trailhead right there. There's potential for a parking lot to be right there. There is a natural surface trail along Whiteman that comes. We have, a, we have commu- you know, community indicating that people would like to walk down there. Yeah. We can't put everything in now, but because we can't do everything doesn't mean we shouldn't do something. And so we need to put I, – I strongly think that we need to put the full ex, expanded bridge, the widest bridge we can, and connect it when we get the opportunity. If it's not now, it'll be soon, including the – like, you're going to widen it anyway. There's going to be infrastructure that's there. The superstructure may not last you know more than than 30 years or what have you but there will be infrastructure there to accommodate it if we are allowed you know if at some point in the future we're allowed to widen the road and put side paths on there and if you want to connect to those trails if you want people to be able to go to them i'm fully in support of the widening that's recommended within it if it's if the side path is six rather than eight feet because that's better for the train fine doesn't bother me does you know having the handrail i think is good like a physical separation of people but if we're if we're serious about the recommendations that we keep talking about, then we need to do them when we have the opportunity to do them. The money's there, it's here. I think that there's obviously considerable improvement that needs to go along with both the intersection and along both those roads, Blunt and, and or up to Blunt and then to uh, Whiteman. But yeah, I, I'm fully in support of having the fully, fully widened bridge at this point, including the side path and pedestrian access.
0: But with a side path, it could be smaller? or would be- If it's,
1: I mean, and, and I'll, I'll defer to some of the staff at this point. If it's two feet smaller, I don't know if that actually makes all that large a difference, given how much you're going to have to expand the bridge anyway. So if there's accommodations that have to be made to make it slightly smaller, then we're already minimizing the six-foot separation between the side path along the bridge. If it has to be constrained slightly, but I mean, not a you know, not a two-foot path, but if there's some constraints that need to be included to accommodate whatever is necessary, fine. A slightly smaller shoulder on one side if we need to move those things around, I defer to people that have the expertise in that. But fully widened with full like, pedestrian access, then provide, that infrastructure is there, it allows improvement of the infrastructure at the intersection of the two roads, and it allows potential improvement of the roads in the future accessing not only sort of a a very large uh, and a very extensive trail structure, but access for people in the community to get to that without putting their lives in their hands by walking along what is not so much a shoulder as it is a very wide stripe of paint at this point. And so, like, I think that that's a reasonable thing to put in right now.
11: Um, I would – I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. I would – just second all of that i i think that you know as as we talked about before this is kind of this is the second example of something that's been kind of baked in for a long time um and we've talked in the past about kind of in the future um you know with these kinds of efforts bringing in additional money to support kind of an expansion of or to to meet the other um, elements of the of the master plan in this case the side path along brink going kind of northwest um that's something that obviously like we, we can't control um, in the future hopefully we'll have the better better ability to coordinate on that um, but I think this could be an opportunity just to address you know the, um, the, the comment from um, uh, the person who lives in the neighborhood this could be an opportunity to maybe rethink reprioritizing within a future CIP um, um, that side path along brink um, right now obviously it's not in you know, appears not to be in the current CIP it's, it appears to be a lower priority there's reasons for that of course Um, but considering that it it appears to be you know a dangerous road right now and we're enhancing access to the trail we're encouraging more people to come we want it to be more walkable this could be a chance to rethink um, together along with um, mcdot getting something in the cip soon um, for that side path as well Um, but in the absence of that i I agree i think that something is, is better than than nothing i think that consistency with our Guidance and planning documents is important, even if um, they're on these kind of examples where it appears to be something to know it right now. Um, but in the future, that that hopefully won't be the case. Um, so, for the sake of consistency, safety, and all these other things, i I support the I support the staff's recommendations. Um, and uh, yeah, and I hope that uh, you know one one question for MCDOT. Just I don't know if you can answer this right now, um, but do we have the ability to kind of ballpark? Um, the cost, the additional cost of what of meeting kind of that extra right of way, the extra width of what the for that superstructure, what that what that might be, and do you feel like you have it within the current budget to to meet that?
14: Um, Brian Copley, Montgomery County DOT. Um, I would estimate uh, if we were to widen the structure another eight feet, um, we would have to relocate a, a six-inch Transmission gas line, that's about a $100,000 cost and additional um, LOD impacts to the parks. Uh, it, the yeah, the bridge itself and the widening, uh, just based on like a square foot cost of what we're doing, it's about three quarters of a million dollars. And uh, no, we, we do not have the budget for that right now. Um, there's also, you know, uh, like Mitra was saying, there's there's going to be a lot of uh, environmental impacts. Uh, we'll have to reevaluate all the hydraulics through there. Um, so it's uh, it is a pretty significant change. Well,
0: so the so the a question is, can there be a side path with with not the, I understand that you're we're trying to have a like a separated area for people to travel, not just a um, a shoulder. Is there a compromise where there that whole section doesn't have to be? It seems like a big section here. Um, um, I mean, at the roadway. I mean, can there be a separated that does that doesn't is not that full width there. And um, to minimize the impact on cost.
8: uh, So I sort of alluded to this earlier, but um, if you were able to reduce the speed on the road, Mm -hmm. um, and if you were able to, I guess, sort of rationalize that this isn't a 50-year bridge, this is more of a 20-year bridge, um, you then could um, readjust the allocation on one side of the of the travel lanes versus another so instead of a six foot shoulder maybe you provide a two to three foot shoulder mm-hmm. on the north side and you allocate that space on the south side and then try to get as wide um, a facility as possible it would more likely be a sidewalk given the width because yeah. our minimum side path width is eight feet yeah. um, but it would be um, better than nothing i yeah. guess is and, I and think- it would be a separated facility
1: yeah and i, I- if that's the kind of adjustment that we have to make I think that's a reasonable adjustment to attempt to make given the current status of the location and I think that it's I think from from the presentation and going through the memo uh, recommending reduced speed throughout there at both the bridge and throughout pretty much the entire area is probably reasonable to do I think that's you know I, I understand that the you know the Proposed speed is 40 miles an hour. I think it should be considerably less. Potentially, when you've got an intersection like that, that we have indications that is dangerous, plus trailheads that go across it and considerable stuff. I think it's perfectly reasonable to recommend and, and ask that that speed be reduced considerably. So
2: uh, um, just, just to add, um, you know, with all my respect, I disagree with my commissioners in regard to just go ahead and do it and spend, waste, million a million dollar of taxpayer's money for something that does not achieve the goal of the master plan, or thrive 2050. This bridge is just 33 foot long.
4: I think it's 50.
2: Okay, no, 30, well, that's what I said Width
1: is like 33, yeah.
2: Okay, 50 foot long, <laughs> whatever it is. 50. Just assume that it's 50 foot long, 50 foot long spend a million dollar waste taxpayer money on the bridge that a lot of other bridges uh, the way that DOT spend money on the bridges is a specific amount the budget for the bridges is a specific this one million dollar takes away from other bridges that county need and I just suggest that Montgomery County should not have a one-lane bridge that is unsafe Okay. Take that $1 million and fix that. That's what needs to be done. I, I support the TRIVE 2050. I support providing shoulders and side paths. This does not take us there. It's just waste of money. We need to be reasonable in what we are asking to be done, either with private money or with taxpayers' money. This doesn't achieve it. And it's a big impact to the parkland. I mean a, the big impact no. to the parkland.
0: So so this is what I think we're giving comments we're, to, to you guys. Mm-hmm. Our goal is to have a well how can you and you have to work together, I mean this has been dormant for how long? You, you, uh, since two thousand fifteen, sixteen? I don't know you know, mm-hmm. and so things have changed since then. So um, what would it look like if you tried to reduce the size of the bridge, but and also, I mean, from what planning is, is, is asking, but also to provide this uh, sort of an, a side path so that a safe area. So I, I mean, how long would that take for you guys to work together, see how that can happen?
8: So, so Mr. Chair, you're, you're asking, um, not necessarily just keeping the existing bridge width, but coming up with an option that may require some widening, but not the eight mm-hmm. feet that's requested? Correct. Okay. I
0: mean, that would be my recommendation, um, and to go through, and because I think this has just been, you brought it back, mm-hmm. it's been, you know, from, apparently we have seen this in, what, several years? And uh, we want the bridge to happen, right? Yeah, it's it's needed. And so, uh, is that, can can you guys come back to us? You know, come back, I mean, our recommendation is to look at this and see if you can come up with a compromise that Mm -hmm. um, it is not as big as what planning is is requesting, but it provides this level of protection. Mm -hmm. What about
2: another idea? I'm sorry, Steve, another
8: idea. Can I can I answer? I just want to respond yeah. to the commissioner. So I I um, I think that as part of the comments from this mandatory referral, um, the applicant will be obligated to respond uh, to the planning board uh, mm-hmm. and and respond to the comments that 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 you as a group make. Um, so. Um, and you know if they if they are willing to reconsider some design elements including providing a slightly wider bridge mm-hmm. or changing some of the design um, They can respond accordingly um, And if the planning board is interested I can provide updates as the project progresses certainly okay. yeah. um, uh, I'm not sure that it um, It will justify them coming back. No, they,
0: specifically. no they, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, the alternative I was suggesting while you're looking at it then that's something that you may want to look into mm-hmm. Assuming that we agree with what the chairman said and said that okay instead of making it eight foot wide make it three foot wide Can we just make the apartment three foot? Wide, three foot longer mm. and then If it is needed in the future, within the time that the bridge is still alive, then you could just add another beam there and make the superstructure. This is just an idea that is allow the expansion in case it happens that we don't think is gonna happen, but it's less uh, funding that would be used. Uh, Of course, I don't recommend that, but if it comes forced to shop, that's another alternative. Uh,
1: Kind of jump in with a couple of those to make sure that they're clarified here. And uh, usually Mitra just kicks me when she wants me not to talk, so that's fine. Uh, But I, I think it's absolutely necessary to have like pedestrian safety and and accommodations on this bridge, that it be wide enough. The details over how wide the side path is going to be given the complete streets, but I think it's absolutely necessary to have separated pedestrian and bike access across this bridge. It's the most dangerous. It is an incredibly dangerous, intersections and bridges like this are incredibly dangerous points for uh, cyclists and pedestrians. They need separated location, whether it be four, six, eight, that. If we can reduce the speed, then we should do it. We need to provide the accommodations to pedestrians and cyclists as well to have safety across that bridge. How that is accomplished, I'm less concerned. I will defer to people with the expertise for that. But separated and safe is, I think, the key. We can you know, talk about the extension of pedestrian access on Brink, but also like including, and I wanna make sure that the commission is okay, including suggestions and recommendations too for looking at traffic calming, at the intersection, not just signaling, but to traffic calming, reduction in speeds along both Whiteman and Brink Road, and that that is included as well in our recommendations.
8: Also, I wanted to, to note that as part of the Master Plan of Highways technical update, mm-hmm. um, we're gonna be looking at how the complete street, street types translated for mm-hmm. the county code actions back in February. Um, this is one of those places that's sort of on the border between the suburban and the country area. Um, This is exactly the type of candidate to consider. Should it be a country connector? Should it be an area connector? Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly, Whiteman, there's a case that maybe it should be an area connector. Yeah. So that that would be something that, that, that'll be an avenue where we can look at that. And that would actually um, automatically apply a target speed of of 25, at least on Whiteman.
3: Yeah. so yeah. if i could um jason sartori planning director so if uh, so i think right now the the, the comment that w- the staff was recommending says widen the bridge pl- the plans yes. um, if if could we agree to ha- p- p- send along a comment that would say you know study options to ensure the accommodation or the future accommodation of a side path or the facilities for pedestrians and bicycles uh just you know my concern is that mm-hmm. um you know we've we have the 2018 bicycle plan that calls for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we in some way have reinforced the idea of countryside paths with the adoption of the pedestrian master plan yeah. just last year. Um, that if. We and we may not have at the county, we the county may not have plans right now to build that side path, but if this bridge gets rebuilt without the capacity to be able to handle it in some way, way. then the likelihood of that bridge, of that side path coming is pretty, pretty slim because we're not gonna rebuild a newly rebuilt bridge just to accommodate a side path, right? So if there can at least be a comment that says study potential options to ensure the future Accommodation yeah. of this, and
1: well, that, and that's the. Oh, go ahead, Mitch.
2: Yeah, as long as we take the number twelve foot out, and uh, no eight foot. I'm sorry, we are asking for yeah the number one. I'm okay with all the other comments mm-hmm. that we have, but yeah. we should leave that to DOT. With what you said, I'm fine with that. Uh,
1: I just want to make sure that when we say future accommodation, the bridge is actually built with pedestrian and bicycle accommodations, not potential extra space that doesn't actually currently have that and like what we're building is then a foundation to allow for the expansion of pedestrian and cycle access in the future along those roads when it gets to that point I think that the bridge should be built with the ability for both cars and humans to cross it without you know taking their life in their hands yes
0: yeah, yes so, yeah, so the, the yeah I think you're I, Jason I, I like your 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 Recommendation, I think, but we're saying that if they put all this money in this bridge, it, it, there's got to be, hopefully, some way that, a compromise, we hope, on a a protected path. That's what, I think that's what we're saying, there, even if it's six feet, I don't care, it's yeah. a protected path for people to go across the bridge. So that's what we're recommending, that you look into a protected Path to go across this bridge. It could be mm-hmm. smaller than what was recommended by, and see how that works. And also the re- reduction and looking, look into traffic calming, um, looking into reducing speeds around there. And that's what we're we're asking for. I know mm-hmm. m- money is a big issue today, but I think there at least look at, The goal is to have a mm-hmm. protected path across the bridge. Okay. And then also, yeah, as we look at you know this this bridge, if it's true that this road has thirteen thousand cars a day, that's 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 a lot of traffic, you know. That's um, so so we just need to be um, provide for that, and, and also yeah. look down in the future. I think when the planning staff is there are going to be more and more roads like this? Like what's realistic, you know? And and, and hopefully DOT we work together earlier to look into how to when you make these bridges on these these country or non-country roads, how do we work together earlier? So, I, I think we could, I'd like to make a recommendation.
1: Oh, can, uh, just one more, is it, is it possible, or is, the, is the board okay with also including the comment on the traffic diversion and the local traffic only for uh, the road that the, that the uh, uh, I'm sorry, during I forget the name, the, yeah, during construction for that. Is that something that we can include as a recommendation yeah, or? She wanted to, uh, it seems the diversion study wanted to include local traffic only on, I think it was um, Blunt that cuts through there. And, and that is and, not a road that, and, and that a, should and a particular, handle
8: traffic. And a particular bridge was mentioned, I thought it was Hun- Huntsmaster.
1: I, yeah, I have to go I, to look. But I, I understand, like re- recommending that, that there be local traffic only recommendations on the diversion, on the traffic diversion study. I think that's a reasonable thing to do, considering
2: I think we how should leave it minimal. to DOT to do. It. You are talking just about four months, a very short time during the summer, and but I totally understand and support the closure. I would rather leave it to the Department of Transportation mm-hmm. to see, because the detour in that area may not be very easy. You just put it for local. What happens for people that they need to drive? Where do they
4: go?
0: They, they divert earlier than yeah, yeah. one so, road,
1: I think, is the answer but, to that question. But, but yeah, but, but I think that that's a recommendation that's reasonable for local travel. Well,
0: well, I, I would say that DOT needs to study it, I and mean, maybe we can mm-hmm. say, in, including considering local but, traffic. But, it, that's considering, but. but yeah. So that's what I, I mean. I hear you. Instead, including considering um, only local traffic, but and you mm-hmm. decide. You know, you you guys do the study and you decide. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think we have a few things here um, on a recommendation. One is to uh, support some sort of side path, um, uh, and in, if to look into a set, providing this bridge with some sort of protected side path. You know, you guys mm-hmm. could come up with the design and whatever. Uh, hopefully it's much less than what staff is recommended also about we talked about traffic calming on the streets we talked about uh looking you guys looking into um, a more detailed rerouting of traffic and mm-hmm. then also study only local traffic on the what's the road that they uh, blunt blunt um and also what we talked about um i think i think those were the No, and the speed reduction. And the speed
10: reduction, yeah. So do I have a... a, uh, We just want to go back. There was some early conversation on comment eight. I think uh, we ended up moving away from that, but that was the comment that I think uh, Commissioner Penawim had. The parking
2: lot. Yeah, that was the parking lot. Um, You know, I I understand that all our uh, comments are advisory when it comes to the mandatory referral. When it comes to the parks, it's not. And this mm-hmm. is really doesn't matter to me. It's look like double payment. I do not know if uh, you have any other recommendation, but I'm okay either way. Uh-huh. I just were asking about it. We are not talking about a lot of money, so I don't think DOT would really care that much about it, unless you, do, you guys care. I don't think it matters.
0: Yeah, really. uh, but yeah, so- so we're, we're we're okay with what's there in number number eight. So the, the part that was a protected side path, you know, consider design with a protected side path, whatever you know, but at a reasonable size. We talked about reducing the speed. Talked about traffic calming. Talked about looking at um, you know a further study of the the detour during construction mm. that would consider if possible. Uh, only local traffic on that's the street, and so those are the five, five things that we that we're putting in as a recommendation. Do you? I think, so. I think that's everything. Yeah. Do I have a motion for no. approval?
1: I move that we approve transmitting comments on the mandatory referral MR twenty twenty four oh oh two oh with the additions
0: and recommendations made by
2: the commission. I second.
0: All in favor? Aye. 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 The ayes have it. Thank you. We're going to take a, a five-minute break and then we'll start our next item which is item number six, Zoning Text Amendment ZTA 23-11 and Subdivision Regulation Amendment 23-02. Thank you. Uh, Good morning again, we're on item number six, uh, Zoning Text Amendment ZTA 23-11 Regulatory Approvals Conditional Use Public Hearing and B Subdivision Regulation Amendment SRA 23-02 Preliminary Plan Approval Procedures Public Hearing where staff is recommending Transmitting comments to the District Council for public hearing scheduled on January 23rd, 2024. And we have Ben Berbert to give the presentation this morning. Good morning, Ben.
6: Good morning, thank you, Chair and uh, Planning Board Commissioners. I am Ben Berbert with the Countywide Planning and Policy Division. And I am going to present uh, staff's recommendation to the board for ZTA 2311 and SRA 2302. I'm gonna treat this a little differently than I would a normal ZTA presentation where I try to kind of go through the whole thing as it's been introduced and then go back to the comments. I think there's just way too much here, as you've probably seen from the staff report. So we're gonna actually tackle each one of the issue areas as kind of an open and close it case and we're gonna work our way methodically, kind of like the staff report does. Um, And rather than trying to give you in our recommendation, every recommendation we have, I'm just gonna kind of high level this as well. Um, The planning staff does recommend transmittal of comments that broadly support the streamlining efforts that this ZTA would do for the review of conditional uses um, as well as the SRA. But we do have some recommended modifications that we'll get into. Um, These were both introduced by Council President Fritzen back on December 12th of 2023. There is a public hearing scheduled coming up here on January 24th of 2024. Um, and as I said, this is sort of a pair of code amendments that are part of a broader effort to streamline the review of conditional uses um, that would, it does a lot of things. Some of it, it consolidates uses that are very similar in code. A lot of cases it's adding new limited use standard options in places that only conditional uses were allowed. There are some changes to code that kind of streamline the way the hearing examiner would actually perform their review um, to make this a little bit easier. And it does set up a policy change that we are implementing here at the Planning Department um, where we're gonna start trying to co-review preliminary plans with the conditional use plans. Um, You know, it really doesn't make a lot of sense for us to have two very Mm -hmm. separate hearings for what's basically one package of discussion. Just there's a technicality with preliminary plans that they can't legally be taken action on until the conditional use is approved. Um, but that action's taken by us signing off on the final copy after the fact. There's no reason the Planning Board can't still have its hearing concurrently, um, but it could set up a a situation where revisions need to be made to the plan, and we'll discuss a little bit how that works as I get to that part of the presentation. Um, Something else that was in the staff report, and I wanna make sure we talk about it here briefly. Permitted, limited, and conditional are gonna show up a lot in this, and I wanna make sure everybody's on the same page. and I'm even gonna step a little bit further back than that, there's really two articles in Chapter 59 where we talk about sort of standards. There's Article 3, which sets the actual use standards, um, which is where we get into the limited or conditional standards. These are the very specific standards that apply specifically to a use, sort of regardless of where it's happening. The other place that we have standards in the code are under Article 4, Those are the standards that apply to each underlying zone and that's where the sort of data tables you're used to seeing in site plans come from. Height, setbacks, density, all those requirements are set. The standards that we are gonna be talking about here are the Article Three standards that apply to uses. Um, In the use table, you'll see that there are either P's, L's, C's, or blank cells. Anytime you see a P, that is permitted. Um, So what that is saying is this use is permitted anywhere in any of the zones that it's listed as permitted without additional use standards under Article Three, It still has to apply to all of the standards under Article Four. The limited use um, also presumes that this use is allowed in the zone if you can follow sort of additional standards that are set forth through the use standards under Article 3 um, I've heard a lot of people think that limited use means the review is limited. It's actually the exact opposite. It's a more stringent review than permitted. Um, and that it's the use that's actually being limited by that more stringent review. The third thing that you will sometimes see is conditional use. Um, this is a situation where the underlo- that use is not actually presumed to inherently be approvable unless it goes through the process and it's conditionally found to be approvable in that location, in that zone. Um, and it's really a heavily based on compatibility findings at that point. Um, and again, conditional uses are where the hearing examiner uh, steps in and does their review, rather than the Planning Board or DPS doing the reviews on limited and permitted uses. Um, so again, we're so gonna, Just so, so
0: the clarification, so permitted uses are done automatically through DPS?
6: Not necessarily. Um, permitted uses may be approved by DPS and it may be approved by the Planning Board. Whether or not a site plan is required is sort of a whole other section of code that sets forth adjacency to uses or size of a project. Um, All permitted is saying is that use, without additional limiting factors, can be reviewed by whatever applicable body is doing that review. Um, So, you know, if, let's say a retail use is a limited use in one zone and permitted in another, if it's permitted, we can go straight to reviewing it through either building permit at DPS or site plan at the Planning Board, um, and just make the necessary findings that are consistent with that. If it's a lim- if retail was a limited use in a certain zone, it might say it's limited by hours of operation or size of building or you know some other factor that's unique to retail that in that zone has to be f- sort of reviewed or found to be true. In addition to just the standard review that would happen through a site plan or a building permit. So um, permitted doesn't necessarily mean it's it's by right straight to permit, it just means that there's not additional factors that need to be considered in the agency's review of that use. But a
0: limited review project would would not go to a hearing examiner?
6: They don't go to the hearing examiner, but they would come to to the board, most likely DPS still can do some limited use, but there are there are more standards, but it still doesn't go to the hearing examiner, Great. only conditional uses go to the hearing examiner.
0: Great, thank you.
6: All right, so we're gonna start Thank walking. you
2: for this information, really educational. I got it.
6: <laughs> well, we're gonna put this to the test. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. We're gonna now just start walking through all the different divisions that are recommended for change to this ZTA. Um, and I'm just kind of walking through in order that the ZTA presented them to us. So, the first one is under uh, 59-1.4.2. This is specific terms and phrases under the defined terms uh, division. Um, there are sort of three things that are changing in this section. Um, they're all very technical. Merging the family daycare of up to eight persons and group take care of up to of nine to twelve persons into the one-use group, take care up to 12 persons. Um, It's having to then re-sequence, number the rest of the daycare uses, um, as well as reflecting that there's a consolidation of home health practitioner uses. Mm -hmm. Um, So, staff's recommending that this section, that we support it unchanged, because it's just, it's it's basically updating the technical references, presuming that we're okay with all the other changes that we'll get to later. I just had one clarifying comment. Question.
1: Those uses aren't disappearing, right? They're being subsumed under a definition that includes those existing uses Correct. and does not eliminate those existing uses.
6: Correct, but in, the, in this sense, since there will no longer be family daycare up to eight, that mm-hmm. needs to be deleted from the from definition the, because group daycare up to 12 now assumes that That's use. what I was yes. just making so sure.
2: So does that uh, create more requirements for, fam- for the groups that are up to eight? do they have to go through more rigorous uh, requirements? Because I thought that was why they were separated.
6: So we will get to that, but the short answer is this actually makes it easier. But we will have a whole separate slide that talks about the practicalities of the changes that are on the screen. This is just me saying that on line 23, this update's happening to the code and we support it Happening on line 23 because of what's happening further in the ZTA
2: Okay, and the other thing is that because I remember when I was at the DPS uh, Up to 8 and up to 12 was going through completely a separate requirement for fire access So I do not know if you have coordinated with DPS in that regard because it was easier up to 8 and if they went up to 12 they had to go do a lot more uh, I don't remember exactly what it was, uh, but uh, that's why I was saying that if it make it easier, that's fine, but that's not how it was back of my mind that it's gonna make it more difficult. I think that's why they had separated them. I'm, I'm not sure, but that's what I remember.
6: So the short answer to that is we did not coordinate specifically on fire access requirements to this. Um, the reasoning that was given for the change was that the state code defines up to 12 as a certain daycare class. And um, it's more than just fire access, the whole process was much more arduous to to do nine to 12 from a a logistical purpose of reviewing um, a a conditional use rather than going straight to building permit basically. Um, But again, we're gonna have a whole separate slide to talk about the daycares, so. Um, Are, is there anybody, any other questions, concerns on this particular slide? Okay. Um, The next section of the ZTA uh, gets into the transferable development rights section. Um, As we probably actually remember from the ZTA I took a couple weeks ago before the board on cemeteries, there are lists of uses that are prohibited um, when a property is encumbered by a TDR easement. that is being reflected because, again, there are uses that are changing as other parts of this ZTA, and as these uses, names are changing or are being sort of assumed by other uses in the code, this is just section referencing back, again, list of prohibited uses needs to be amended to reflect the sort of new terminology and new uses that the code would have. Mm -hmm. Um, So, again, staff sees this as just another sort of perfunctory technical update. So we're recommending this section also go through as introduced. Okay, Um, the next section gets into the changes made to the actual use table. Um, Again, this is the table that reflects all of those P's, L's, C's, and blank cells that I talked about earlier. Um, Again, there's a lot of changes in the ZTA to the use table also primarily being made because, again, we're adding, basically replacing two daycare uses with one. There is the the merging of the home health practitioner from two uses down to one. Um, This is also adding a number of limited use standards, so we're going from C uh, only to C slash L for a lot of uses like the equestrian facility, home occupation major, rural country market, and automobile storage lot. We have a couple places like the automobile storage lot where there are new zones that the use is allowed and we've added the appropriate markings in there. And then by making these changes, it causes everything to get renumbered. And so there's a lot of renumbering that's happening. Um, And so generally staff is, support. again, we're supporting all these changes to the extent that the rest of the ZTA makes these changes. Um, We did uh, notice one thing that we think was just an oversight when this was put together, that the group daycare over 30 um, is moving to section 344E. It's currently in 344F. This is again something that should be reflected in the use table. Um, And so we are recommending all the changes to the use table but adding this one additional row to it for purposes of updating its proper section reference. I
13: have a question. Um, (laughs) Under the first bullet point and then the sub bullet point adding limited use in certain zones for equestrian facilities, home occupation, rural country market, an automobile storage lot. Um, so these are gonna be new categories that are gonna be added, or are they gonna
6: be restricted? That's so right now, and again, I'm, I've got like 40 slides. We're gonna to get to all of the details of all of this, but um, these, in these instances, these are all uses that are currently allowed as conditional use and what the ZTA is proposing that they be allowed as conditional or limited use. So it would be adding new, it would be adding new standards, but the new standards would actually make it, in theory, a little simpler to actually get approval for these uses.
2: I, I understand, I, and maybe I'm a little bit confused. This is in regard to hearing examiner, make it easier for a hearing examiner to approve it. But I am concerned that If you combine, like, health practitioner law and major and make it one, then when they go to DPS, then they have made more hurdle to go that law may have been easier to get the permit, and now they have to do... So it may make it easier for uh, hearing examiner, but it's gonna make it more difficult for people because uh, they have to do more hurdle to get permits from DPS. I think it is important that if we wanna eliminate or combine this, we check to see if it's gonna impact the permitting requirements for people.
6: So in that example, and, and again, I have slides to actually get into all of this, but to answer the question directly, Um, What they're doing in combining the low and the, the major is they're taking pretty much all of the standards from the low and they're making them the limited use standards. If you qualify as a home practitioner that would have qualified as the low before, it just becomes a limited use and not having to do the conditional use review any longer. The conditional use standards for high would still remain. If you can't meet the low standards under limited use, then you you still will do your conditional use. And so it was it's staff's perspective in that and in the other instances where this is happening, that there was nowhere where they're making the process any harder. It was all either keeping it the same for an applicant and in some instances making it a little simpler by not having to do the conditional use any longer. Yeah.
1: You can still meet the limited use as a low home health care. You just it's now no longer conditional, it's limited use. You skip the hearing examiner, hopefully, and you can move okay, so move on. But you're not required to do any additional
3: permitting.
2: So the cat category doesn't go away. Still you have this low and
3: major categories? Can we actually, I think it'd be good for it to let uh, Mr. Burbert actually go through, because he's got stuff on each and every one of these, and so you can raise questions and concerns about each one as we get into it, because it's difficult without having the information about each of these on the screen and what he intends to convey, so if if he could.
6: Uh, Yeah, we can definitely, we'll talk about all this a, a little more, and so for this slide, is the board okay with the modification to the use table with staff's recommendation to update the separate section reference? Okay. Um, so the next is the first use we'll actually talk about and this is the equestrian facility use. Um, this ZTA, so currently in the code, the equestrian facility, um, it's a conditional use in the RE2, RE2C, RE1 and R200 zones, um, which is, You know, I think from both staff and the hearing examiner's perspective, it's pretty arduous that if you just want to own one or two horses, that you have to go through an entire conditional use process to do that. Um, So, what the ZTA does is it's proposing to make it a limited use in the RE2, RE2C, RE1, and R200 zones, um, so long as you met certain standards that include that nothing that you're doing on site is a commercial activity. These are basically your private horses. that there's a maximum number of horses you're allowed, which is laid out in a table in the the code based on acreage, um, and that you have a basic waste management standard plan to make sure you're not pushing that off into a creek or something like that. Um, And so, you know, staff's recommendation for the equestrian facility use is that we support the addition of these new limited use standards. Um, If an applicant wants to come in and do an equestrian facility in one of these zones and wants to do more than what is allowed, they can still do the conditional use to get that approval. Um, we think this is actually going to help applicants a lot in this particular use to not have to go through these hurdles just to to own a couple of horses on their larger lot properties. Hearing no concern. Um, so the next one we're gonna get into is the home health practitioner uses. Um, as stated earlier, this is consolidating the home health practitioner low impact with the home Health practitioner major impact is a new single use that would just be called home health practitioner. Um, what this would do from purposes of the use table is it lets this new use be reviewed either as limited or conditional use in all of the zones that already allowed it before. Um, where again, before it was, um, before the low impact was a limited use, the major was a conditional. This is This is, again, streamlining this into sort of one similar use, leaving the, the limited use and conditional use standards in place. Um, again, I think this actually may help a few home health practitioners that were considered major before kind of come in under the limited use standards because the limited use standards absorbed all of the low impact use standards, plus added some sort of common standards that were issued by the hearing examiner on limiting operating hours um, and sort of clarifying what needs to go to the conditional use process to have waived. Um, And so again, I think there are a number of what were home health practitioner major impact users that will actually be able to take advantage of the limited use process going forward. Um, But again, this leaves the avenue open for them to still do a hearing examiner review under conditional use if they want to exceed the basic limits that are set in place by this. So again, staff is supporting the consolidation of the two existing uses into just one home health practitioner use. Um, We are recommending that on line 177 of the ZTA, the clause where home health practitioner use is allowed as a limited use, the following standards apply. It's a very sort of standard clause that you'll see all throughout the zoning ordinance every time a list of standards start, it just sort of seemed like it got left out in the copy, paste, adding, deleting of, of everything here. Um, so I will, I will pause here again briefly. I know we've had a little discussion on it, so if there's any further questions about this particular use. Um, not seeing any, so I'm gonna assume the board's okay with our recommendation. Um, the next use that's being changed by the ZTA is home occupation. Um, this is one where they've opted to leave the no impact, low impact, and major impact as separate uses in the table, um, but they are going into the major impact use and making it both limited or conditional. Um, before it was only allowed as a conditional use. Um, now they are allowing it for limited or conditional use. Um, and the limited use standards that are being recommended in the code would limit the number of visitors on site, require that all indoor uh, or that all waiting areas be indoor. Uh, there's limits to the amount of in-person sales, on-site storage, and on-site display of merchandise as part of this business. Um, and it would prohibit you having other at-home businesses concurrently with home occupation. If you can meet all of that, this would now be allowed as a limited use. Um, Again, if you want to exceed any of these, you can do the conditional use process with the hearing examiner still. Um, So staff is supporting um, these new limited use standards with the home occupation major impact. So with regards to home occupation, can, can you
13: provide an example um, for the people who may be listening, for clarification's sake? Thanks.
6: Um, it's, it's ironic that the easiest thing that comes to my mind is is sort of like a, a small doctor's office, although I think that's actually treated as a separate use, but it could be, um, you know, so, so thinking that line, a, a therapist, perhaps, has, you know, people come to their house for the clients to receive sort of, you know, session therapy treatments. Um, you know, that would be a home occupation. You're running that business out of your house rather than renting a small office suite somewhere and having a third party location. Um, and so, again, these are allowed by code and the impact levels are based on how many people were coming and how many deliveries you were having per week of any sort of necessary items to, to do that, that home occupation. Um, and again, the major impact here was, was the most impactful of them, and I know for this use in particular, when we worked on the CTA in the past, the hearing examiner f- kind of looked back and found these were the standards that they were always applying to the home <coughs> occupation major impact, and if basically you met all of these standards, they were almost always granting that conditional use, um, which is why it, it sort of seemed like we're wasting both applicant and staff's time, if we know these are sort of the acceptable standards to us, let's codify them. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not unsympathetic to the fact that it could create a situation where a, a neighbor is caught by surprise that someone is doing this sort of next door. Um, I'm also not aware of a lot of instances where the conditional use was ever denied if they met these standards, which is why I think it made sense to us to just go ahead and make them the standards you follow and, and not otherwise subject the applicant to a bunch of additional review would it would a good example be um, maybe a beauty salon or nail salon
13: in someone's home and um, you know a home occupation and and um, if it a beauty salon nail salon or something that of that sort is allowed um, how is it policed and you know, I'm specifically concerned about limits to in-person sales, on-site storage, display of merchandise,
6: and prohibition of use with other home businesses. Um, so that would be another good example. And that's probably one that, what does have merchandise potentially associated with it. Um, this really doesn't change the policing um, once it's an approved use whether it was through the conditional use that set forth standards or whether it's a limited use and the applicant signs off saying that they're going to adhere to them, it's it's a DPS violation either way. And unfortunately most DPS violations are handled through they're complaint driven. Um, and so there's not a real uh, you know this isn't sort of fixing sort of that problem that some people may see that that it's sort of violations may be happening in these uses. Um, the, you know, they. I, I don't think this would change someone's propensity to to violate either willingly or, or by accident any of the standards that might be set forth. Um, that that would still just be handled through a, a complaint driven process through DPS, where they would need to find some proof, sort of one way or the other, as to whether violations were occurring. Um, so I don't. I don't think this moves the needle either direction when it comes to that issue.
3: I'll just contribute a couple things here. I'm going to read directly from the zoning codes the d- definition uh, of home, home occupation in general means any occupation that provides a service or product and is conducted within a dwelling unit by a resident of the dwelling unit. Home occupation does not include home health practitioner, uh, bed and breakfast, daycare facility, display of furniture not made in the home for sale in the home or at an off-site location, landscape contractor, or educational institution. Uh, And then there are the three different types, right? So uh, of home occupation, there's the no impact and that is a home occupation uh, that is not required to register with DPS, uh, prohibits non-resident employees and is not regulated um, uh, under a different section of the code. Um, Home occupation, low impact is a home occupation that is limited to one non-resident employee in any 24 hour period and is required to register the the business with DPS. And then finally, the uh, major impact is a home occupation that is limited to to two non-resident employees in any 24-hour period, and is also regulated by uh, another section of the code. Um, The other thing I wanna point out with this, with these where the, the, the ZTA recommends changes from a conditional use to a limited use, Uh, This was a discussion, I think, in some cases you've heard Mr. Berbert refer to what we're we're saying, in part because we've been actively involved in this conversation with council staff as well as the hearing examiner. So these are ones that in some ways have kind of been blessed by the hearing examiner too in recognition that um, when these conditional uses go through that process, oftentimes they come first to the planning board, then they go to the the hearing examiner, it's multiple steps of the process, but if the hearing examiner is consistently applying the same set of relatively objective standards, let's try to kind of expedite this process by just putting those standards in as a limited use having it only have to go before the planning board and not before the hearing examiner. So um, this has been a kind of a collaborative discussion in, with, with, with these particular types of changes.
13: Does this, or do zoning text amendments, um... Later, um, get applied by DPS with them specifically enumerating numbers with regards to um, visitors, um, in-person sales, storage, and display of merchandise. What, what I'm what I'm concerned about is that when you have certain businesses, and, and I'm speaking from experience and in, in having a client who had an issue with someone who op- opened a business in their in their home um mm-hmm. traffic and parking became a nightmare in that home, right? in, in the neighborhood and this person was running a profitable business and it was in their interest but was not an in interest of the neighborhood and so when i'm looking at this and there's generally broad and then when does it get into specific, does DPS come along and say, this is the number of visitors you can have, uh, this is the um, number of workers you can have, and this is um, generally what we will enforce, or is it left broadly to our interpretation
6: by DPS? Because this is general right now. It's probably general on the screen for sake of not wanting to just publish the entire staff report, so I'm quickly looking I'm pretty sure there are actual hard numbers in the ZT. You could just
13: answer yes or no without going and I was wondering if it's I, c- I can does. say
2: I think it is because I was there. They, and They look, I, I believe, I didn't do it, my staff did it at that time, but I believe that there is a specific number for each use uh, that DPS has to use to enforce it. They cannot just be on their own uh, interpretation. So uh, that's what I remember.
15: Um, Uh, Commissioner, uh, uh, just for example, it might be helpful, I'm I'm just looking at under uh, low impact here. It says the maximum number of visits is 20 per week, no more than five per day, excluding deliveries. Um, You know, It limits the sale of the type of goods, the number of sales per month. I mean, the code gets very specific on these things. And uh, one thing I I will add just by way of example, I know you had asked that I have picked up on the fact just sort of anecdotally, it's actually increasingly common for attorneys to operate out of their house when they don't want to pay overhead, obviously depending on the the type of
13: practice they have. So just thought I'd throw that out there. (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting that you would bring up the necessity of attorneys
15: well of course I I do have a sense of (laughs) self-preservation
6: does that your concerns adequate okay Um, so I'm assuming what we have on the screen everyone's good with these recommendations all right Um, so now we are going to get into the discussion on the daycare uses Um, As was mentioned before, this CTA takes the family daycare up to eight persons and group daycare of nine to 12 persons and it's recommending it as one new use called family daycare up to 12 persons. Um, So currently up to eight persons is allowed as a permitted use in every zone. Um, There are a few limitations. They come from sort of licensing standards that aren't really zoning related at that point. And those would all still apply with with the new combined use. Um, But to go to group daycare nine to 12 persons is currently a conditional use in a lot of zones. It's limited in a few, but it's mostly conditional use. And it's a conditional use that I think we actually see a lot of applications for, because somebody has a daycare with their eight people and they want to expand modestly. And to, to go from eight to 12, it can almost always be in almost the same footprint. It's one additional staff person. It's a, it's a very small, logical next step for a, a at-home daycare provider. Um, and the amount of effort that goes into preparing those conditional use plans, basically for us to make the finding that there's no impact in the expansion from what they were doing before from a practical standpoint, I think is what we're trying to address and it, it felt very arduous. Um, you know, I, I, I regret, I do not know the implications directly on, on something like fire and rescue. I do note um, in some other uses actually in the code that are also proposed for consolidation that we'll get to a little bit in the, in the retail side. Even though we're consolidating the uses, there are some still specific standards that point out that if you're above a certain size other standards still apply, so I don't necessarily think there's a, a inability for for the county if there is a fire code that kicks in at at nine that it might not still kick in. It just doesn't need to be reviewed through a conditional use and through us um, necessarily. I think that could be handled through the permitting process. So um, again, this is one that staff's actually pretty supportive of. You know, I think you know we all know that daycare is something that is very expensive. It's hard to come by. And, and to be able to have people expand by just a couple of additional students, it's a lot of work that's probably holding people back from doing it now, in our sort of opinion. And so, you know, we are recommending this change go through as introduced. Oh, look at that, retail service and, uh, establishment. So this is one where there's sort of the combined definition of retail and service establishment. And then the code has six distinct breakdowns based on size of establishment, with the smallest being up to 5,000 square feet and the current largest being anything that's 120,000 square feet or larger. Um, the ZTA is combining the upper two most tiers, the 85,001 square feet to 120,000 square feet, with the one square feet and over into a new 85,000 square feet and over um, I think from a practical standpoint, a big box becomes a big box, and in some ways, this is actually moving down the threshold of where we are, are calling you a big box retailer. Um, and so I think that's beneficial. And so what this has done, while the specific use of 120,000 and one square feet or over is being eliminated, new limited use standards are being introduced into this part of the code providing specific standards if you are 120,000 square feet or larger in design that are pretty much based on control of the design and function of the building, Um, very similar to, again, what the hearing examiner today is looking at, um, and actually anecdotally, the hearing examiner says that, at least in the time that the current one has been working, has never even seen a conditional use come in for this size of retail. Um, Those new limited use standards that are being proposed We're pulled from a couple of locations. Most notably, there are standards that apply to retail. I believe it's over 50,000 square feet in size within a mile of a metro station. Um, So some of those standards that are being used now were being applied now to all these largest retailers. Um, And then some of the sort of design and transparency control that comes out of our CR family of zones were also being applied to the largest of retailers to create this new packet of limited use standards. and staff thinks this is a reasonable way of of managing if we have any future applications for such large projects. The only recommendation that we are making um, that's shown on the screen, uh, sort of limited use standard B, uh, street level retail facades that front public or private streets or parking areas must provide transparent glazing for at least 60% of the horizontal length of the building facade. Uh, We would like it to say as measured from a height Did I do this right? Yes, as measured from a height, no more than three feet above the walkway grade, to no more than eight feet above the walkway grade, Um, instead of saying between the height at a minimum of three feet and eight feet above the walkway grade. It's the exact same thing in practicality, we just think it's a lot clearer for somebody who's not used to reading this to understand what we're trying to do, that you go up three feet and then three to eight is where we want the 60% transparency, it just, we, it's all about clarity. Um, there's really no policy change with this recommendation. Are there any questions about that? I see none. Uh, next use that is changing in the ZTA is rural country market. Um, currently, this is only allowed as a conditional use, uh, and it's only allowed as a conditional use in the ARRRC, RNC, RE2C, RE2, RE1, and R200 zones. Um, a rural country market is effectively like a. a, a slightly more permanent roadside produce stand. Um, you know, the, Your most basic one would be completely portable trailer that could be pulled by a vehicle. This would sort of apply to ones that are actually permanently built into the ground, um, but there's lots of limitations on what they can sell. It needs to be s- sort of on-farm produced produce or other goods that were produced from the produce grown on the farm. Um, and it just sort of seemed like why is this a conditional use for something that is such a low impact and would help promote farmers to be able to have a direct line of, of source with their customers. Um, so th- the new limited use standards would just set the minimum tract area, minimum setbacks, and maximum building height, which were consistent with what the conditional use requires. The conditional use now would be used going forward only in situations where somebody wanted to deviate from one of those standards. Um, so we. Recommend this as introduced. Huh. This this includes actual permanent structures, right? Not just like these. These would be allow allowing permanent
1: a permanent structure more or less. With it, it, like, it
6: can also be in a permanent, you know, as part of your barn. There are yeah. limits on how much of that you know okay. can be used, but yes. Okay. Uh, next use is the automobile storage lot. Um, this is a very specific use that is it's basically defined as the lot where tow companies tow your vehicle to. Um, I mean, there has to be one of those somewhere. So um, currently they're only allowed in the GR zone and only allowed in the GR zone is conditional use. We just thought it was very strange that the retail zone is where you wanna put the impound lot. And so in in purposes of just trying in good gesture, I think this use change came about that the industrial zones also feel like an appropriate place for this and that maybe it could be limited rather than conditional. And so we have borrowed the use standards that applied to uh, vehicle sales and rental outdoor and are applying them here, such as needing the hard pavement surfaces, the lighting, the screening, the setbacks, all of that good stuff. Um, And so staff is recommending support of this is introduced. Um, Next, we're getting into the parking section of the code. Um, The first section we'll talk about, this is an update to the uh, required parking table. Um, Again, these are kind of like at the beginning of the ZTA. These are updates sort of recognizing that we are renaming, resection referencing, and otherwise consolidating certain uses, and therefore the, the table needs to be updated to reflect that. Um, We're not actually changing anything about parking with this particular ZTA. Um, I think everyone's okay with that. So the next one, uh, also in parking, is the parking waiver. Um, The ZTA, as introduced, is recommending removing the requirement of application notice for parking waivers. Um, Application notice is a very specific defined term and it is the notice that is given at the beginning of a review process, typically by the planning department for sketch plans, site plans, um, the mixed income housing so you know, all those sort of things that we review here, trigger application notice, it goes to the adjacent property owners plus any interested and in registered parties, I believe it's within a half mile of the site. Um, the hearing examiner through conditional use does not do an application notice, they do a hearing notice, um, which goes out a little further into review, but goes out um, between 30 and 45 days prior to the public hearing, Um, It goes to the exact same audience of people, but they don't normally do application notice. And what the problem has been is as applications come in and maybe through part of the discussion or review of the conditional use, something about parking wants to be waived and a parking waiver becomes necessary, applicants are then required to drum up this whole new notice process and procedure that are currently not required now, and it apparently has led to a number of bits of confusion and delay. Um, The ZTA was recommending just not noticing parking waivers at all. Um, I think for as long as we still require parking, which again, I know is a very different future discussion, um, I think we think notice really should still be given if you're wanting to waive a, a, a fundamental part of that. But our recommendation was to insert what's in red here to allow that the hearing notice um, that the the hearing examiner would already be sending is an appropriate vehicle in lieu of the application notice to send those out. And so what would happen is in the hearing notice that there would be a public hearing on said date in the future for this specific use on this specific property, it would just need to say including a request for a parking waiver. Um, And in talking to, again, the hearing examiner about this after the ZTA was introduced they agreed they didn't necessarily mean to not do any notice, they just needed to get it out of application notice. So um, staff is recommending the one change on the screen as shown. Uh, Next section of the code changing is the rural open space uh, requirements for the, uh, again, there's a list of prohibited uses that cannot be constructed in rural open space, Um, again, This, in particular, is removing group daycare nine to 12 persons from that list because that use would not be part of the code going forward. And then it requires the renumbering of everything alphabetically under it. Um, So staff supporting that change. Uh, Next one that is a little bit of discussion here, the alternative method of compliance. Um, So everything under Article 59-6 are basically the development standards. Again, here we're talking about the the parking, the access, the the screening, signs, landscaping, open space, all of these things fall under this. Um, And pretty much with the exception of parking, alternative method of compliance is a way where the deciding body currently can deviate from any of those standards in those different divisions, um, provided they, they meet a set of findings showing why this deviation is sort of good or okay. Um, again, this is running into a bit of a hurdle where the hearing examiner at their hearings, as part of trying to find compatibility, might start negotiating design on the fly and and bump something out of compliance. And the most common thing that they're running into is the screening where you know we have very set screening standards to a certain width, it's a certain number of plants on center at a certain quantity, um, and For lack of space, they just wanna propose a fence and a row of evergreen plants that will probably do an even better job, even if maybe not quite as organic looking method of screening, Um, and currently that requires alternative compliance to do that review. The hearing pauses, staff here gets called, we have to do a review. It it creates a lot of delay for something like this. Um, There's existing language in the code that, that implies that the hearing examiner only need use Article 6 to the extent necessary for compatibility, but it wasn't written in a way that we all agreed that that was obvious to people. Um, And so the initial modification came in wanting to just exempt landscaping on a landscaping plan for purposes of screening from doing alternative compliance. Um, Again, I think staff here felt that might be appropriate for the hearing examiner at their hearings, given the nature of their review and the authorities they have didn't necessarily feel like it was appropriate to remove that from the planning department's review. Um, And so a number of changes are actually being proposed to the introduced ZTA. And again, this was based on a a group conversation that was had between planning staff, council staff, and the hearing examiner um, since the introduction of this ZTA. The first one goes into the the necessary findings of conditional use. Um, Again, this is the finding that was being pointed to that the hearing examiner met applicable development requirements under 59-6. What we really think this wants to say is the intent of the general requirements under 59-6. We just think it clarifies that you still need to follow the intent of these, but that that is the new sort of baseline of finding and that you don't have to hit their very specific requirements anymore. Um, Then moving into the alternative compliance section of code, given the language in the hearing examiner changing, we think applicable deciding body really should just become planning board because we're the remaining applicable deciding body on alternative compliance. That clarifies the hearing examiner is not involved anymore in alternative compliance. Um, A third problem arose in this discussion. We tried really hard to avoid having site plans follow conditional uses because it feels kind of redundant and we eliminated a lot of those in the 2014 rewrite but we didn't get rid of all of them. Um, And so we very rarely see this, but it was, it sort of felt important that if the hearing examiner did make, as part of their finding, some alternative that's not the standard of Division Six but met compatibility, that if a site plan then came in, that the planning board would be able to use the hearing examiner set standards, um, rather than looking at the actual standards in Article Six and go, well, wait a minute, those don't compute. Um, There was just nothing in the code that said that you do that. So like binding elements on an LMA, we follow them because the code says to. The code doesn't say anything about the planning board at site plan necessarily following modified standards of a a conditional use. And so there's sort of two places this could go. It doesn't need to go in both. Um, And I don't think staff has a strong preference on where. And so our recommendation is we send it along, offering council both options, and they can pick where they wanna put it. One of them would go into alternative compliance and just say that an application that was subject to previous conditional use approval that approved alternative screening standards um, other than those found in screening or uh, parking lot screening that has changed that was done through a parking lot or or screening that was done uh, for parking um, that those altered standards would be what would apply rather than those in Article 6. The alternative would actually go into the site plan findings that the planning board makes um, that specifies that um, the board must satisfy all applicable standards under the general requirements of this chapter and it would just say that includes any development requirements that were modified by an approved conditional use. So this we think gives the planning board the ability to not kind of have an error when processing these and say we can't do that. So any questions? I know this is a complicated one, all right
0: but you will say, it'll say or. You'll say either or, I mean, that's what you're, you're
6: Right, right. I, I, our recommendation is that one of these two should okay. be adopted, right. but both should, don't need to be okay. adopted. Okay, okay. Um, we originally started with the first and then realized it felt like a weird section to put it in and it might actually want to be a, a finding and we just, we couldn't reach a conclusion in time as to which one was actually better. Um, the next division, we start now start getting into process. Um, in the conditional use process part of the code, uh, one of the amendments would modify an existing section that currently um, allows an application to be withdrawn. We all, this is now adding the ability to dismiss an application. Um, basically, if an application goes inactive for a year, the hearing examiner can file a motion to dismiss the application. Yeah. It sets forth a 60-day process for a potential appeal. Um, this seems reasonable that they should be able to end a review that is kind of gone stale. Um, also in the special provisions section of the code, which sets forth things such as fees, um, this would add a new section that would allow the hearing examiner to partially or fully refund filing fees if Either the request was made prior to the hearing notice going out um, or if a a zoning change materially changes the whole purpose of the review, making the conditional use no longer necessary or any other government action that would render this moot. Um, Again, I think if they want to do that, we're fine with that. Um, So we got through the ZTA. The SRE is much shorter, thankfully. just one quick question. So
0: let's look at that at the same way we look at... uh, Like projects that come before the board you know that we part of our review in every board meeting is to do extensions right you know and and so what would you know we generally do the extensions because they're you know either couldn't work out some of the applicant or or it was couldn't work out something with another division or just things are changing and they just can't so in the, with respect to the hearing examiner, I mean, when they go stale, is it? Do you have a sense of why they go stale? I mean, is it because the people haven't been able to work things out, or 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 is it different from why things take longer in in, in the planning process? You know,
6: yeah. right? I, I think so. I think this specifically is like it's been completely inactive for okay. a year. So this okay. would they're not even trying to okay. resubmit Great. or. Okay. Um, But it's, sometimes things do exceed their 120 days with the conditional use for the very same reasons you've mentioned. But I believe this is very specific that there's been no activity for a year from an applicant. Okay. Um, So there's one change that would be happening to Chapter 50, our our subdivision code. Um, And again, as I alluded at the beginning of this, you know, this is all part of an effort to streamline conditional uses and chapter 59 dealt with how to make the uses more streamlined. This is getting a bit more back at our process. Um, currently in 59, the code says the planning board may take up review of, of any conditional use project um, but we we must take up review of any necessary preliminary plan and a lot of conditional uses need to ultimately record a lot for that use after the conditional use has been approved. Um, And again, the reason the preliminary plan becomes later is that preliminary plan is approving a lot for use and conditional uses are not presumed approved until they are and so we need to have that process done first. Um, But it's a lot of the same technical stuff we're talking about to go through preliminary plan and conditional use and so to save applicants a good deal of, of time, both not having to come to multiple planning board hearings, but also to be able to have both approvals done at once rather than starting the preliminary plan process after the conditional use is finalized. Um, we're hoping to, to bring just one combined item before the board to talk about preliminary plan and conditional use. Um, we will be conditioning that preliminary plan on approval of the associated conditional use. um, And sort of that that final approval or that certification that would happen that staff (coughs) does signing off on the plans that they do indeed match what the planning board voted on with any changes that were made, we would be holding off on on making that final step until after that conditional use was approved um, just so that technically the, the order went the right way. It is not common, but not impossible that through the hearing of the conditional use, the plan might be altered a little bit. If the plan were substantially altered at the conditional use hearing approval, we would come back and have a second hearing at the board, you know, very short order, to, to let that go through its, its very public process. If it's starting to modify findings or conditions, like that needs to come back to the board. But it could just be shifting elements or lines on a plan that might not even necessarily need to be on the preliminary plan, but are just there for clarity, or it's better to have the stuff shown on the plan. Um, We'd like a process where those sort of lines or little features could move without needing to come back to the planning board. Um, And so this new process in subdivision code would allow the planning director to sign off on us allowing those modifications prior to us actually signing off on the official board version of of the code Um, with with the ability for the director to even say, in a minor case, I think this is too complicated or controversial, I don't want to do it, or if we receive a complaint um, from a party of of record that is legitimate to this issue, we would still bring it back to the board. So... um, We're trying, again, to not have to have another hearing, just to make very minor changes that may arise from time to time. I don't think it's gonna happen a lot, but it it could happen on occasion. Um, And so this this just sets forth a way that we can do this internally. Um, For the ZTA, we did do a climate assessment. Um, A lot of what was before us was really just code streamlining. That's not gonna have a climate impact to the extent that some of the streamlining might encourage additional, you know, things to happen because new uses are opening, that could have a a very minor impact. Um, And it's hard to measure whether it's positive or negative because a lot of this stuff is dealing with at-home businesses or daycares and, we're trying to start guessing, like, where are cars coming and going from? Is it shorter or longer to do an at-home business versus a third-party business? Changing delivery routes. It, it basically became indeterminate as to whether it would have a net positive or negative impact, but we think it would be very minor regardless. Um, and from a adaptive capacity and community resilience standpoint, we think this would have minor benefit because um, if it does allow more, people to be able to do a little bit more at home and do it more easily, that has potential trickle down effects of community connectivity and distribution of resource benefits. Um, So in conclusion, um, this is the long list of standards that were introduced that we have recommended be adopted without (coughs) any further discussion. and I think and these were the standards that we recommended be introduced with some modifications. Um, and according to my notes, we actually didn't really make any changes to this list here. Um, so, with that, I am concluding staff's presentation on the ZTA and SRA and happy to take any other remaining questions.
0: Um, I think we're good. Um, Mr. Bartley? You good? Okay, all right, so do I have a motion to? Uh, yeah. I'll move to approve that
1: we transmit comments to the um, district council of the public hearing on the ZTA and the SRA.
0: Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Uh, thank you very much for your presentation. Also, was good, like a refresher on the zoning process. <laughs> yeah. So, that's thank you so much. Okay. And we'll, we'll take just a two minute break. And then we'll start with item number seven, CM Lancaster LLC conditional use number CU-202407 and preliminary forest conservation plan number F-20230500 where staff is recommending approval to transmit comments to the hearing examiner. Thank you. Good afternoon. We're on our last item of the day. Item seven: CM Moncaster LLC, Conditional Use Number CU 202407, and Preliminary Forest Conservation Plan Number F 20230500. Public hearing. Where staff is recommending approval to transmit comments to the hearing examiner. From the planning staff here, we have Mark Beal uh, presenting this afternoon. Uh, Hello, Mark, and welcome.
16: Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, for the record, Mark Beal. Hello. Test. Okay. For the record, Mark Beale, zoning planner, Up County Planning Division. Uh, today, I bring to you uh, C M Moncaster Mill. The, it's a conditional use, and as you said, the conditional use number is CU two zero two four zero seven, with a preliminary forest conservation plan of F two zero two three. Subject property is located between 7100 and 7106 Montcaster Mill Road in Durwood, Maryland. The property is right across the street from Lisa Drive. Um, It is surrounded by single family detached as well as townhouses and a religious assembly to this side over here. Um, The townhouses are zoned RT 12.5 and the remaining of the area is zoned R200. And staff did not find any conditional uses or special exceptions in the area. The subject property consists of parts of lots 13 and parts of lot 14. It consists of 4.46 acres, um, has direct access off of Lancaster Mill Road, and there are two existing residential houses, as well as multiple outbuildings and sheds on the property today. As you can see from the existing conditions plan that was submitted with the application, the single family house is here, there's another one here. And then we have some sheds and a couple outbuildings back here. Again, Moncaster Mill Road, and it's across from Lisa Drive. And you can see this little edge here, the backside is uh, gets very close to Redland Road. <coughs> The uh, applicant is proposing to construct 43 new townhouses, seven of which will be be, uh, MPDUs. Um, The applicant in this area back here will be creating a public park. Um, At the same time, the applicant is creating a new entrance that lines up across the street from Lisa Drive right here. And the applicant is installing an open area here with seating for the residents of the neighborhood. So Design for Life, what is Design for Life? So Design for Life townhouses um, are intended to increase the amount of accessible living units or townhouses or single family houses within the county to the residents. What this means is these buildings and structures in the neighborhood must meet meet or exceed the level two accessibility standards which are certain aspects of the ADA code or even better. The subject property is located in the 2004 Upper Rock Creek Master Plan. There are no specific recommendations for this master, for this particular property. The property is right here in the red star in the map. The application conforms to chapter 22A, forest conservation. Here are the uh, variance requested trees, and the applicant is providing on-site mitigation for those trees. At this time i'll turn it over to our transportation planner brett brown to talk about the transportation slides
9: thank you mark um good afternoon members of the board for the record brett brown up county transportation so to get us started today uh, as part of the review process the applicant submitted an exemption statement um, as the subject property does not exceed more than 50 hour 50 peak hour person trips during the am and pm period i'll also add that they did receive a Um, I, uh,
0: maybe we can come back to this section.
16: Okay, we'll come back to the transportation. (coughs) So findings, uh, this application, the um, townhouse design for life living is consistent with the Upper Rock Creek Master Plan. It fits in and is compatible with the surrounding neighborhood. The use will not cause undue harm or adverse impacts on the neighborhood. And this application meets all the standards and requirements of the specific use for design for life townhouse living community. Um, as well as it conforms to all the general requirements of the conditional use standards within the zoning ordinance. After the uh, staff report was posted, staff had received staff, and, as well as the chair office, has received four emails. All those emails were transferred to the chair's office. The major concerns that were in these letters were traffic on Manchester Mill Road, uh, air pollution from additional cars, uh, the distances from the metro station, as well as a public park. And the neighbor the neighboring rec, uh, religious assembly, they um, submitted a letter of concerns, which um, the applicant can talk about in a little bit because they met with the um, with the church after this letter came in. Should I go ahead and do this, or is Brett back?
9: I am back. Uh, many, many, many apologies. I was having some uh, technical difficulties uh we can go we can move on to the next slide so uh the applicant is planning on upgrading the existing side path along their frontage on Moncaster mill road um it varies between 8 to 10 feet but they will be upgrading it to 11 feet just to maintain consistency with the bicycle master plan Um, additional pedestrian facilities include upgrading all the sidewalks internal to the site to six feet um, and then a proposed trail uh, which is the area outlined in goldenrod that area will extend possibly to uh, uh, the adjacent property and, to, and eventually to Redland Road. So it will provide more access to uh, a bus stop like Redland Road. Uh, next slide, please. So continuing on with that, um, again, staff will continue to work with the applicant as well as the adjacent property owner to gain an access easement to have this tra- uh, paved trail connection to Redland Road. Um, although there is a bus stop um, in front of the uh, subject property on Moncaster Mill, um, the, out, the headways are usually about 50 minutes, and it only runs during the peak hour, a.m. and p.m., uh, while the adjacent bus stop on Redland Road runs um, every 25 minutes. Given that this property is marketed toward people with mobility impairments, it would make more sense to have this kind of connectivity. Um, so, as I stated, um, at the time of the preliminary plan process, staff will continue to work with the applicant and the adjacent HOA to make sure that this path is built in some form or fashion. And with that, I'll turn it over back to Mr. Beal. Thank you.
16: Thank you, Brett. Okay. So, uh, s- staff recommends approval with conditions uh, for the board for the preliminary forest conservation plan F20230500, as well as staff recommends transmitting to the hearing examiner a recommendation of approval with conditions for the conditional use CU202407. Thank you for your time. And at this time, staff is here as well as the applicant. If you have any additional questions,
0: yes, would the applicant like to make a presentation?
17: For the record, Scott Wallace with okay. the law firm of Miles and Stockbridge. I'm happy. The applicant with me today is uh, Chris Malm and Robert uh, Mom with Craftmark, the applicant for the pro- uh, for the project. Also, for the development team, uh, Phil Hughes with CPJ for Civil Engineering, and Joe Caligero with Traffic Group for Traffic Consulting um thank you to staff for uh, not only today's presentation but working through with us for several months to get to this point on the design of the project and the and the um the uh what's before you today uh we are in uh, agreement with staff's uh, recommended conditions which will mainly be addressed at uh, preliminary plan um as uh, as noted uh we have had communications with all of our neighbors actually uh we met initially with The uh, church uh, to the southeast of the property. Before we filed the application, to explain the project to them, to get any comments that they had, and then also met with the townhouse community uh, to again explain the project, get any comments that they had, and then um, most recently uh, met with uh, the church again. Uh, Chris and uh, another representative from Craftmark met with the church by Zoom on Saturday to address the letter that they that they sent into the record, answer their questions. And uh, as a result of that meeting, um, the church had requested consideration of a possible privacy fence along the property line, which is acceptable to Kraftmark. It's just a matter of where that would go, whether it would go completely on the church's property, completely on Kraftmark's property, or potentially jogging onto one or the other to accommodate uh, tree preservation. So that's something that we'll continue to work with um, the uh, church on. And uh, it's acceptable, uh, again, it's acceptable to Kraftmark to do that. And then as far as uh, the uh, potential connection to Redland Road, uh, we, on our own site, will certainly provide whatever uh, the necessary access easements or future easements for that connection. And um, it's just a matter of whether that community will allow it to go through their site. We've had back and forth with that community, and we'll continue to do so with staff's um, assistance. So with that, we're happy to answer any specific questions. But given the length of your agenda this morning and the time. We, we have nothing else at this time.
0: Yeah, thank you, Mr. Wallace. Do, any comments or questions from the board?
2: I, I have comments. So, okay. Mark, this is going to come back to us as a preliminary plan, correct?
16: Yes, that is correct.
2: Okay, so uh, a lot of the other things would be done at that time. I'm, I'm very happy to see that, that we having this uh, community especially that uh, with full accessibility, the level two accessibility that you have there. So all of these townhouses are gonna have elevator in them. Yes. That's really neat. And uh, I'm very familiar with that place and thank you for uh, bringing it forward. We look forward to see the preliminary plan.
0: Other comments,
13: questions? my comments probably are premature but um one of the things i'm interested in is the traffic study and then also the pedestrian concerns taken in consideration um, the increase in traffic um, and the want for the um, new residents of the community to access the shopping center that'll be north of it i'm familiar with this road because um, i had an opportunity to go to the public park that's north of the road up 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 the way about i think a mile and a half away and so uh, i'm concerned about ingress egress and the crosswalks and then access to the um shopping center that is close by and so i don't know if those would be addressed now or later on during the process Uh,
17: certainly um again we're there is a, we're exempt from providing a full traffic study under the uh, LATR guidelines and your own rules. Um, we are providing an upgraded sidewalk along our frontage uh, to, uh, mm-hmm. to allow for better access to the shopping center. There is a bus stop that is um, on the, along the frontage in, in close proximity to the, prop, to the property on Moncastr Mill Road. Uh, I recognize that it doesn't have the greatest, as good a service, but that's not necessarily something we can do much about. Um, and certainly having on-site facilities like a, a, rec, a, a park area on-site will be something that the, the residents can easily access uh, as well mm-hmm. um, while uh, while this is designed for, for people with mobility issues certainly it's expected that uh, they can they will have cars at least if they can drive they, they will have cars to be able to drive to um, amenities that they need to, to reach um, but again, whatever we can control in terms of access, we're, we're doing that and improving mm. access, including allowing, again, the access potentially through the adjacent community if they're yeah. amenable to it, to more easily access a bus stop that is more accessible for, for people with mobility issues. Yeah.
0: okay,
1: thank you. Okay, Mr. Uh, Heaton? Yeah, I, no, I was just gonna move to approve. So okay, okay.
0: yeah, well, so I'll just <laughs> yep, yeah, thank you for bringing this to us. I love the Design for Life. Uh, concept that definitely needed and more for sale housing in the county definitely needed Um, uh, Jackie Simon will love you for this she was always out in the forefront you know more than a decade ago about livability type sites and designs Uh, so just uh, one comment on the park I really hope you can get that connection I know it's not in your control to Redland because it's supposed to be a public park and without a connection and some wayfinding to get there it won't Feel like a public, yeah. public uh, park. So hopefully you were able to do that. But thank you for bringing this to us. And do I have a motion for approval? Yeah. We, have, we have to do two, one.
1: Would do, oh. do two for one for the conditional, one for the. So move the we approve transmittal of comments on the conditional use uh, CU twenty twenty-four oh seven
2: second
0: Second. All in favor. Aye. 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 The ayes have it.
1: Yeah. And a move we approve transmittal of comments for preliminary forest conservation plan number F 20230500.
0: I second. All in favor? Aye. 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 The ayes have it. Thank you so much. Thank and you. We're, we're concluding our, our board meeting for today, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.